So are you going to paint your blood angels like the Mandalorian armor? No. Because <laughs> that's just plain silver, and if I wanted to do that, I'd play Necrons or Grey Knights. Okay. Mm, fair. And 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 then our blood angels are are since they're red and white, they're our Santa themed army. They could be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's that or corn berserkers, and so I mean, and it's all blood either way. So. <laughs> Welcome to the Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's all blood all the time. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And today we're talking about Codex Supplement Blood Angels. Uh, the uh, the boys in red are back and have a uh, update, updated set of rules and an actual book to make them work with the Space Marine Codex. Uh, so we'll be looking at that in the second half of the show. But first, as always, news, new releases, and... There's actually been a lot to address in the last couple of weeks. So where do we want to start? Do we want to start with event cancellations or do we want to start with new releases? Um, I think event cancellations is probably a good place to start because that kind of colors the tenor of the rest of the conversation, in my opinion. Yeah, because we've got fair. Because because if you think about it, like the three biggest events, the three events that are synonymous with 40K competitive LVO, Adepticon and Midwest Conquest. (laughs) <laughs> you know, all have news. So, uh, I love your optimism on that third one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just wanted to. I'd been thinking of that all week, and I'm like, I got to work that in and like put us in with the. No, clearly we're not. But anyway, somewhere Mike Brandt, the Nova Open, feels like he's been tossed under a bus. It's far enough out that like they they don't count. Like they're the if they went to a big four, then they're included in the big four. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, okay. So so to start off. Uh, what well, it was? What two week week and a half ago that Adepticon announced that because of COVID restrictions in Illinois, uh, specifically about like event size and such, that even planning and setting up Adepticon was unfeasible this year. So they yeah. have officially uh put off until 2022. So there will be no Adepticon 2021. Um, a couple of days after that. On uh, Frontline Gaming, on Signals from the Frontline, uh, Reese said that LVO was 99% canceled uh, because of COVID restrictions in Nevada. They were just waiting for the final word from the hotel uh, as far as their contract. And that apparently came down a day or two later because they have also announced that Las Vegas Open 2021 is canceled and will be pushed off to 2022. Yeah. So, yeah, as you said, Kevin, the two of the biggest 40k events and one that was already canceled last year because it was hitting just as the pandemic hit uh, Adepticon uh, are are canceled for next year. So, I mean, that puts them in a really rough spot because losing 2020 was already a big hit for them. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you've signed up or, you know, you, you were going to these events, like I was going to LVO, um, there are options to get, you know, refunds, partial refunds, to donate some of it, to roll your ticket money forward. If you can afford it, I would highly recommend rolling your ticket forward. 
or you know or donating the ticket um, just to keep these these events alive because you know LVO and Adepticon are huge events but they also require a lot of cash to run um, you know so any anything that we can do to help them out and help keep them afloat with after a year of lost revenue like I I. I think we should, as a community, try to do that as much as possible. I understand if you are if money's tight and you need to make you know get a refund, but if you can afford it, try to you know try to roll your ticket forward or donate it um, to keep the events alive because that'll help keep the community alive uh, in the long run. Yeah, and hopefully they'll be able to do another kind of like virtual promotion for the various vendors that also depend on events yep. like Adepticon and Las Vegas Open, both for selling uh, product uh, for reaching customers that might not know about their product otherwise. And we're not talking about like big game vendors necessarily. There's a lot of yeah. small like bits makers and accessories makers that depend on these kinds of events for marketing and sales. So hopefully right. those will get prevent. Uh, get uh, promoted by the event organizers and i'm sure they will they did last year for adepticon and yep. they did adepticant last year right. so we'll probably get an adepticant 2021 as well yeah that, that's, adepticant. A, <laughs> that, that's a really good point though because both adepticon and lvo um unlike you know and not to say that other tournaments aren't like this but those two especially are conventions outside of the you know outside of the the competitive gt like a lot of people show up for that but there's other events going on there's other games vendors um you know uh, people that show up to do seminars like there's a lot going on in those events so it is a it is a big deal to lose those for a year or in adepticon's case a second year so yeah just uh you know if you can afford to support those support those vendors support the events yeah, and we'll try to hopefully hopefully everything will be ready to go in 2022 for these events. Yeah, and then that brings us to the third point of the the tri event trifecta. And if you haven't kind of guessed from from Kevin's slip earlier, uh, Midwest Conquest 2021 uh, is also going to be canceled. Now you might say, well, that event's not until May. There's a lot of time between now and then. Well, there's a number of factors that are working into this. So the first factor is obviously the COVID pandemic. We don't know what the situation is going to look like at that point. Hopefully, I mean, vaccines have now, like the Pfizer vaccine, I think was just approved for use in the U.S. last week. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a long time before the the bulk of the population has access to vaccines. So by May, we may not have hit herd immunity to the point where we can safely run a, an event especially in the space where we were running it, which if you've ever been to Midwest Conquest, it's a giant enclosed glass room, but it has relatively low ceilings compared to like some of the ballrooms that other events are held in. The air circulation is not the best, and that's actually a big factor in COVID spread. So that's something we have to take into account. Another factor is that because of the pandemic, the convention that we had partnered with, uh, Conquest, is actually in discussions on whether or not they even want to do an in-person event or they're going to do a virtual event. And if they choose to do a virtual event, that's really hard for us to hold an event. Right. So, yeah, we'd have no space available. And event space in Kansas City, even with the uh, the impact that COVID's had and hotels wanting to fill space, is still rather pricey. So without a guaranteed space, it's kind of hard for us to to hold an event. And then the third factor is 
we have we are no longer at critical mass to to run an event here with uh, both Dennis and Kevin being out of state and not nearby in any way. We just I'm don't only have eight them hours there. away. Yeah, that's not convenient for like a quick w- weekend. Uh, you know, like we need to get stuff set up. So, uh, yeah, we've kind of reached the point where we cannot run the event ourselves. So we are canceling the event this year. Uh, if you are someone who had their 2020 sign up rolled over to 2021, we will be contacting you and figuring out a way to get you a refund. It'll probably be via PayPal because I think at this point, credit card refunds would no longer be available given that it's been. Right a year but we will try to make make sure that we make it right and get you your money back uh, most of you have already had refunds but there's a number of there's about a dozen or so people i think that either didn't contact us or specifically asked us to roll it forward so we will be contacting those people yeah. that said i do not want to give the impression that because we are no longer running Midwest conquest that midwest conquest is going to go away forever we are currently in discussion with a local store and a local uh, and by proxy a local 40k group uh, we I don't want to get into too many details right now because those mm-hmm. discussions are still kind of in the early stages but we are looking at someone to uh take on Midwest Conquest and so we can kind of pass the the reins forward to someone else so may like it may not be in May it may be later in the year and I don't know what space it would be at but uh it would definitely by by giving it to another group, it also frees up a lot of scheduling because it would no longer be dependent on a different yep. convention. So uh, Midwest Conquest, with it, with any luck, Midwest Conquest will return possibly later in 2021, uh, very likely in 2022. Um, I'm actually looking forward to the possibility of being able to participate and not run the event. So uh, that's that is uh, one thing that I do hope comes out of this is that I can actually play in the local event, but we, we want to make sure. And like the group we're talking to, uh, I have, they're good people. I have faith in their abilities to, to run a good event. So yeah, definitely. uh, Yeah. So uh, we will have like, as, as we have that finalized, we will let you know more, but uh, we will make announcements on Facebook and our website and such when this goes up. Uh, so uh, by the time you hear this, the announcement will have been made that we are canceling for next year and that you know, talk about what's going going on and what we'll do going forward. So um, events were not the only things delayed or canceled for, uh, you know, for the last couple of weeks because of COVID. Also, uh, Games Workshop announced that uh, Death Guard Codex will not be out in 2020. It is being pushed to early 2021. And I think, I think that's, that's a slight celebration. <laughs> it gives us some breathing room for content <laughs> and uh, your wallet. And my, yeah, this is also true. Uh, but uh, that that's been, I think, in response to the increased COVID lockdowns and restrictions in the UK. So it's made it difficult for them to to push forward and get that product out the time they wanted to get it out. In the meantime, they have released. Uh, a fair amount of information this week about new rules for Death Guard, and there's some significant changes coming down the pipe for that army. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely the uh, the the biggest one, and we'll get more into this obviously with the review, but the biggest one is the changes to disgustingly resilient. Um, instead of it being what it's 
what it's been since really sixth edition, where or even probably before that, where it's a five up feel no pain for Death Guard. Instead, it is when you're when you're allocating wounds, you reduce the damage characteristic of an attack by one to a minimum of one, which is admittedly not as good as the previous disgustingly resilient, especially for single wound units um, like Poxwalkers, for example. For two wound Death Guard, this actually could be a better thing because it does mean that unless you're getting hit with specific anti-vehicle weaponry, you know, a, a normal like heavy bolter or something that would take out norm, you know, it's built to take out two wound Space Marines, most likely isn't going to kill them in one shot. So it it's one of those where it really kind of comes out the same for most units. Um it's a little, it's slightly worse, but it's also much, much more efficient. Like, it's not, it eliminates a lot of extra rolls. Oh, it'll um, speed up playing against Death yeah. Guard a, a lot. So, I, I do like that. The other change that they made was, let me find it here. Oh, it was the, it was the changes to Contagions of Nurgle. Well, Contagions of Nurgle is a new thing, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, okay, yeah. So, it was a brand new ability um, and what it effectively does is you subtract one from the, str- the toughness characteristic of an enemy model, and it progressively in, within an aura, and then the aura progressively gets bigger as the game goes on. So it starts one inch, which is basically engagement range, three inches, six inches, nine inches. And honestly, this is this is the one I'm most excited about because it actually means that Death Guard will be like offensively capable because since they came out at the very beginning of Eighth Edition with their new codex, with their first codex. They had lacked a lot of the offensive firepower that other Space Marines had. They, the disgustingly resilient was so important because all they really could do was kind of turtle and play a defensive game and just kind of outlast you and whittle you down slowly with bolters. This actually opens up the possibility that no, it's actually going to be much easier for them to be offensive and kill things, um, while still being tougher than most. So I, It'll definitely be a change in playstyle for Death Guard, but I don't think it's necessarily an overall nerf. I, and I think a, a change up for uh, you know, game style, one that encourages them to get out and move on the field, fits Ninth Edition very well. And very uh, and that also combines with another rule they announced. With the first one was inexorable advance, which is their detachment ability. The, as long as they didn't, a unit didn't fall back or advance. It counts as having remained stationary for the purposes of firing weapons. Yeah. Um, if it's a vehicle, it doesn't suffer any uh, penalties to hit rolls for firing at units within engagement range. And if it's infantry, it can ignore any or all modifiers to move characteristic advance rolls and charge rolls, which means you cannot slow them down. They just keep right. pushing forward. That's really good for them. And that kind of makes up like that was... They had the old ability where they could, uh, like, they fired ha- uh, rapid fire at 18 inches instead of half range. Now they're just always firing at full range because they also have malicious volleys, which is the uh, the chaos equivalent of bolter discipline. Yeah, no, like it, it is. It is good for them, and it will make them. It'll definitely make them more offensively capable, and I think that is a positive. So I, I, I'm I'm interested to see how their new playstyle is going to be. I can't seem to find the 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 article on the community page, but I do know that there was also changes to like the way demon engines worked and like um changes to ballistic skill and things like that, but I can't 
I'm looking on the site and it seems to go from Death Guard Preview Part Two to Part Four. So I'm, uh, I don't know te- where Part Three. Part went. Three. Part Three is remorseless. If you search for Death Guard, it shows up. Yeah, weird. Yeah, but I, I don't remember exactly when they posted it. So it may not have been part of the specific Death Guard preview. But like they they changed that um, a lot of the uh, ballistic skill on a lot of demon engines and things like that. So like your um, uh, Defiler is now ballistic skill three. Um, and that those changes will roll out to all chaos codexes eventually. Um, and I think that in and of itself is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the one that says most improved death guard. Units. Okay. From yeah. November 30th. Yeah. So, uh, like plague Marines getting an extra wound. We kind of knew that was coming. Yeah. Possessed getting a fixed number of attacks and getting the- plague weapons with, yes. with their, that's, that's huge for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Defiler's starting at weapon skill and ballistic skill three instead of four. The the penalty for being demon possessed never made sense. Right. And so I'm <laughs> I'm glad that that is gone. So my my Nurgle Defiler might actually be worth taking in a list now. So that's great. And we'll have yeah. to see if those also get at if well now that uh, disgustingly resilient is no longer a feel no pain. It might be something that's applied to a lot more units also. Right. Right. But uh and we got to see Mortarian's data sheet. He's still a boss. <laughs> yeah. No, like I'm I'm excited. Like it looks like it's uh it looks like it's gonna be a good release and it looks like it looks like your playstyle will change, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think this fits more into ninth edition. Yeah. Uh core units. Core infantry units are going to get re- an ability called Remorseless, which means they just ignore any modifiers to combat attrition. Nice. And uh, they say, like, Plague Marines, Death Guard Possessed, Blight Lord Terminators, Death Shroud Terminators will all get that. And then we also have the uh, Deathly Pathogens, which is basically their way to make certain characters better. You know, kind of like uh, instead of, like, making this person a... Uh, you know, chapter master or a, you know, a master of sanctity or something, or the cryptic magic that we have in the Necron Codex. We have uh, diseases that they can basically buy as add-ons for their characters. So, uh, so yeah, that's a neat, so, fluffy thing. Yeah, some interesting stuff coming down the pipe for for Death Guard, but we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer on it. Uh, in the meantime. Uh, we finally got access to the army building app. They they finally yeah. opened up the Battleforge functionality inside the Warhammer 40k app. And uh, this has been to, I'd say, mixed response. Uh, there are people that were amazed that it even came out. Uh, I know <laughs> there was a lot of like, yeah, well, they promised and uh, still, you know, end of year and still not here. Uh, they did release it. Uh, they are acknowledging that it is a beta product and they are actively soliciting uh feedback on what is and isn't working what needs to be improved so i'm glad that they're immediately approaching it not as a uh this is all done but as a we got this out there it's probably got issues what can we do so like as soon as as it was available i started playing around with it and also from what i understand from other listeners responding um the iOS and Android versions do not function 100% the same. There's a few features that work in one and not the other. Right. But, like, uh, filtering by battlefield role inside, like, if you're in a detachment, does apparently didn't work for Android. Or might not work for some Android, just, you know, because Android is a, a much wider array of platforms. 
what I will say, like I, so I took it through tests by putting together lists uh, from like stuff that we did uh, around like in August when we got a chance to get together and play. Also lists that uh, listeners had sent in and trying to see, can I recreate these lists in this app? And I would say for the most part, it worked fine. Uh, the app itself, it wasn't buggy. It didn't crash at all. Uh, the, any, like, adding things worked pretty well. There were a couple issues where it felt like point totals didn't, on, like, on individual units didn't recalculate immediately. But if I, like, left that view and came back, they were correct. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, for working through and creating a list wasn't bad. Uh, there were a couple parts, like, selecting a, how to select a warlord and a warlord trait and a relic, uh, weren't immediately obvious. But yeah. I, it was, but, once I found them, they were fine. The validation seems to work pretty well. The output that it puts out is very readable. And uh, Best Coast Pairings has announced that they've already got support to parse that layout for uh, list validation on their end. So, nice. I mean, the community is already accepting that this is going to be a thing that's available as an alternative to Battlescribe. The places where I hit issues... Uh, was in the data. Not all the data seems to be properly loaded. A few examples I can point out. Crute are missing from the Tau Codex. Uh, Poxwalkers are missing from the Death Guard Codex. Uh, Tau broadsides are are available, but only if you play Tau Sept, which is an odd choice. Probably some sort of data got flagged or labeled incorrectly. Um not all weapon options seem to be right. Uh, for example, a Seraphim Superior in Sisters of Battle cannot have a uh, Power Sword and a Plasma Pistol, even though the datasheet has those as separate line item options. So right. I should be able to take both, but I can't for some reason. Uh, plague, or uh, not Plague, uh, Noise Champs in, uh, in uh, Emperor's Children... They do become troops if you select Emperor's Children, so that that worked. Uh, however, um, the Noise Champ could be given a Doom Siren, but I couldn't change their weaponry in any other way. So I couldn't give them a Power Sword and Bolt Pistol. I couldn't give them a Sonic Blaster. I could give Sonic Blasters to everybody else one by one. I could give them Blast Masters. So, again, it's like 90... Like, the app functionality is there, and it seems like the data is probably 90% there. But there's definitely improvements that need to be made. In some cases, extra relic stratagems didn't work properly, but that is not an across-the-board problem. I was able to make it work in Death Guard. So they just basically need to go through and clean up the data, and then I think it'll be very usable. There's a couple of interfaces, interface things, like I said, like selecting your warlord i think would would be better if it was more and a more obvious choice other than you basically have to click the validation button and then there's a tab on that that says options and you have to go there so it's not immediately intuitive but i did find it uh selecting psychic powers worked selecting relics worked uh applying extra relics when that was appropriate worked so and this is just testing with like uh like about four or five six armies maybe there's a lot more that would need to be tested with and i haven't tested blood angels because i don't think the new blood angels data was in there but <laughs> uh like my initial impression was if they can get the data polished up this is actually a pretty decent app app yeah like so the thing that i liked about it is it is very um intuitive 
on like how like adding things to the the various detachments and various battalions and stuff work. Um, I like the fact that when you click on something that's in your in your detachment, you immediately see the stat line and like a, a nice picture of the of the of the unit. Like I love the data. Like when you're in there doing selecting warlord traits or relics on that page for the ones that are available, uh, which is the caveat. But for the ones that are available, you get the full description of what they are just right there. So as you're scrolling through the relics, you can look and say, okay, rather than like in Battlescribe having to select the name and then hover over it and see what it is, it's just all right there. So I, th- I do think that the app works for the most part more intuitively than Battlescribe does. Um, I'm not as familiar with it because Battlescribe is what I've been using for the last years. But I think this will get there, and I think this is a very slick app once once they work out a few bugs and they do some f- enhancements. Like, I would love to be able to name detachments or be able to rename units, which I know is something you can do in Battlescribe. And, and it's like, I think it's a paid feature in Battlescribe, but I, I mean, we're paying for Battleforge eventually once it's out. So, like, I would like to be able to do that. The filtering's a little annoying on the Android um, because there's, you can filter for unit name, but not, not unit, like unit type, uh, as you mentioned. So like if I'm doing, especially for, uh, chaos, um, I'm going through and I'm building a world leaders list right now. I have to scroll through every single choice that is available for chaos to get to troops you know, and let you know, and and see what's available. Now, if I know I'm going to take corn berserkers, then I can just type in corn, and it'll go right there, and it'll find them. But if I want to look to see what other options are available, I have to scroll through hundreds of units because Chaos has access to like literally everything. So there's some polish that can be done to it, but overall, this is a very slick app, and I do think that this will probably go down. Like once they get it up to to speed, this will probably be my primary list building app. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty decent, and hopefully they can keep it updated with, you know, with unit data as new books come out, especially at the clip that they're talking about announcing, you know, releasing them. Right. And that, that'll be the challenge, and whether it pulls the data fresh or you're going to have to download a new update to the app, which I think it's probably going to be more the latter, because that's usually how, like, the, uh, the Age of Sigmar app works, is, like, whenever a new army is released, they push a, an update to like the app, your app store of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, and again, there were other little things, but there were things that I, like I noticed, like uh, for some reason, taking an assassin still takes up a, an elite slot, even in an Imperium uh, battalion. But like in the sisters, if I had a unit of uh, sisters Repentia, then the mistress of repentance or the, you know, the Repentia superior did not take up a slot. Like, the little image of the uh, the battlefield rules for the battalion that they had did not fill in an extra one when I selected a Repentia Superior. So there there are some things that do work pretty well, and I like I liked having the uh, the display of like this is the detachment I'm working in, and here's what I filled out, and also like it highlights these are like in yellow, like these are the ones that have to be filled out before it's a it, you know before you make it a valid detachment. So. Uh, it really does make you think in lines of like army detachment and units within the detachment, um, which also like one thing that is correct. It seemed counterintuitive, but it is actually correct is 
when you select a battalion or patrol, like when you select one of those detachments that gives you a refund for having your uh, warlord in that detachment, what you end up getting is rather than the two costs canceling out and becoming zero, which is how I tend to think about it, it actually adds three and then adds an expenditure of three. So, right. like, you end up using, like, 3 of 15 instead of 0 of 12, which is correct. I mean, that's actually how it would be worded. It's just we're so used to thinking of them as, well, that just makes it free. Well, not exactly if you're being 100% accurate. So, right. it's just it, – it's things like that. Like, having an official app can also help you realize how they – how Games Workshop intends the game to function. So, that's – yeah, there is that. Oh, so the, the only other thing that I'm looking at it right now that I'm I'm thinking that I kind of isn't in there and I wish was is power level isn't listed anywhere. When you look at units, it shows the the points and stuff, but it doesn't show you the power level for those units, which would be something to just be nice to have because there are abilities that require you to know what the power level of a unit is. Yeah, and when I uh, like, I filled out the survey afterwards to kind of give my feedback, and that was one of the things they bring up in the survey is like, would you like a like, is this mm -hmm. something that you know that you definitely want is to have power level in there as well? And I think having power level and possibly support for crusade as well as because right right now it's focused on match play, yeah, which is probably why it doesn't have power level. But it would be nice to have that option, like, for Crusade armies. Uh, I mean, the Age of Sigmar does that. Like, you can select, is this an open narrative or matched play game? And I would like to see the same kind of option for armies in here. But for getting this out the door, I mean, this is this is a... It's a decent first attempt. It is not perfect yet, and they acknowledge that it is not perfect. But I would rather them put something out there and collect feedback and find out you know, what, what isn't right. And they probably are already working on some of those items as we speak. Oh, I would so, think so, yeah. Yeah. So I imagine we'll be seeing regular updates to this, but I, like I said, if it, 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 it is not in a state where it would replace using battle scribe to make your army building, you know, to make your army lists, but it is in development to get to that point. Yeah. And they didn't have to crunch for a year to get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know. They haven't announced one way or another. Well, some somebody okay, may enough. have crunched at some it, point. I mean, all I know is this runs on my PS4 much better than <laughs> anyway. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, if you've gotten it to run on your PS4, then you're quite a, quite an impressive hacker because I don't think it's made for that platform. <laughs> well, you know, well, neither yeah. is Cyberpunk. <laughs> neither, oh. neither is Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I almost thought about like getting it for my for my PS4, and now I'm real glad I didn't. Yeah, real glad. same here, same here. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, <laughs> but we're not here to necessarily take take the piss at uh, CD Projekt Red. At least not yet. Maybe maybe in a future episode. Maybe, look. but yeah. <laughs> uh, but I believe that is all the news and new releases with the holidays coming up. Like if you're or like it's too late now to ship anything to the U.S. from from Games Workshop. So I mean that's. But if you have Christmas gifts yet to buy, pick them up from your friendly local game yeah. store. But uh, uh, other than they, that, they did have the they did have a black library preview last week, 
which was kind of cool because like they talked more about some of the upcoming uh you know siege of terra books and what they have planned going forward with black library which was very interesting if you're interested in that um and then they did announce that they are releasing a uh captain ventress model uh, as a primaris uh, ultramarine model at some point in the future so that's kind of cool um yeah but yeah, a lot of cool stuff coming up. Oh, they also announced the next uh, Beckwin novel uh, yes. from... Uh, Finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only took like five years. <laughs> I'd say Pariah came, Pariah came out when like Jaded Gamercast was still doing regular right. 40k episodes. So, but uh, yeah. It's been a so, while. like, I, I think that's I think that's worth mentioning because those are like those are big deals. I, I at least in some corners. So yeah, I I was excited to see that they were going to do a Gaskell novel. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Written by Makari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that that looks like it'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Cool stuff coming up from Black Library. So, uh, and I imagine they'll probably announce another uh, another preview. After like after beginning of the year and stuff, especially since LVO canceled and they won't be able to do the on-site preview. So yeah, and well, and Adepticon also. So yeah, yeah I yeah. imagine we'll be gearing up for another round of those as they announce you know the new codexes coming in 2021. Yeah, but anyway, that takes us over to listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listener, and if you want to know how to have your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. So we've got two letters today. Uh, first one is from Clay Sudrath. Clay actually sent us a very long letter, but he also gave me permission to uh, address sections of it on different episodes. So uh, I figured I would. I, so this has been kind of condensed for length. So, Clay, uh, you know, just to let you know that I, I took your advice. I, at one point, he did go into a discussion on uh, movies and recommended uh Mad Max Fury Road as a Speed Freak movie, and I totally concur with this. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, there's a reason we did a Speed Freak army for our first Midwest Conquest raffle army. So, but anyway, uh, Clay writes, Hello again, friends. Thank you for the suggestion on my golden boys. I look forward to the day where I can take them in all their resplendence to glory <laughs> to a tournament. But until then, I am continuing to enjoy 500 to 1,000 point games with a few friends that I'm able to get games with. For you and for any listeners, if you have not spent time, some time playing 9th edition at the smaller point sizes, I highly recommend it. Uh, I will concur the couple of games I've gotten to play of 9th edition have been at the 1,000 point level, and they were great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought 1,000 points played just fine. Anyway, he continues. Now, for the real reason I wanted to write in. In talking about the new Combat Patrol boxes, you discussed the price point. One thing that was specifically said was that the $75 to $90 range compared favorably, fairly favorably with a new video game, but the $140 price no longer does. I disagree. If you're going to make a fair comparison, we need to be comparing Warhammer to multiplayer video games. Our hobby has solo elements, building, modeling, and enjoying the lore, but the game requires at least two players, so I don't think it's really fair to compare it to a game that's a single-player experience. The vast majority of multiplayer games these days are not a single purchase. MMOs have a monthly subscription, and many still require purchase of an expansion every few years. Most other multiplayer games will have a season pass, paid expansions, or smaller purchases in the form of cosmetic options, or even upgrades that affect gameplay that are sold separately. Often, they will have many of these. So a $60 video game really doesn't cost you $60 anymore. That is not necessarily a bad thing, as a game that is getting ongoing support needs to find money to pay for that ongoing support. Where the line between justifiable and too far is probably a conversation you guys have no interest in having, but my point is that you're not just going to spend $60 on a new 
video game in most cases. So it's our job as ambassadors of the hobby to help new players understand that, yes, they are making a decently expensive investment in this game, but they are going to get a far longer term return on their money than they would out of most other forms of entertainment. With the exception of special characters that have found their way into Legends or some odd specialist units, your models are going to be usable with every codex. The majority of us have models that we started the game with that are still playable. Buy the new codex every edition and you're good to go. So, yes, we are competing with all forms of entertainment for the value in our hobby, but I don't think very many forms of entertainment have the retained value of that Warhammer models do. Magic the Gathering can't even compare to that, as only one format of Magic that allows you to play with the cards from the majority of the game is anywhere near healthy. And to be clear, I'm talking about Commander. Legacy and Vintage have been on life support for years now, but that's another conversation outside the focus of the show. And since I've brought up magic, I will often use building a commander deck as a good comparison to building a Warhammer army. It's a format where things do not rotate out, only getting banned if there are issues that need to be addressed. While there will always be shiny new things you want to buy, what you already have is still usable. And it is a format where you can spend money on something with relative confidence that you will be able to use it for a long time to come. Probably for the lifetime of the game. That directly compares the majority of the core models to an army. GW will always give us new shiny things to buy, but they have been surprisingly good to their word about supporting older models. And even those old characters that have been put into Legends are still often usable as a generic character of the same type, which is more than you can say for Magic the Gathering if a card gets banned. As for... As far as starter kits go, I'm a fan of the style they seem to be taking with the new combat patrol boxes. The idea of having a playable army in one box is something that, quite frankly, GW should have been doing all along, rather than just boxing models for what represents a good value. I hope they will continue to make those boxes sub-faction generic. Not every army has model differences between factions, but there's enough I hope they continue to make them universal for the entire codex. The glaring exception here is, of course, that Space Wolf character, but that model is still usable. A new player can always paint him however they want and say that Brother Moon Moon is out on a tour of duty from another chapter. <laughs> thank you for everything all of you do to keep the content coming, and thank you for making it through my long ramblings. Stay safe, and may the Omnissiah witness you shiny and chrome, Clay. So, th- so that, was the, uh, that was the trimmed down question? That that was that was trimmed down because there were like two or three other subjects that got mentioned. So right, I, no, I yeah, which I, is why I trimmed it down because it, I, the whole letter would have been an episode on its own. Right, no, I'm 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 just kidding. I I do think so. The conversation with the video game comparison point is a is a longer running conversation that we've had back to the start of the podcast. Um, and and those are points that we've brought up before that yes, like. Buying a video game requires you to buy a gaming system and, you know, and ongoing support and, you know, your PS Plus subscription or your Xbox Live subscription to be able to play the games online. So there's other things involved with it. Um, just like when you get into the Warhammer hobby, buying paints, buying, you know, the, the, you know, uh, stuff to, you, you know, clippers to, to, to put them together and things. Well, um, the rule so book and the codex the too. Rule books, codexes, things like that. So it's there's definitely ongoing support. Our point with the $60, $70 price point is that is in the range where it's an impulse buy. You can tell your mom or your aunt or your uncle that like, hey, for my birthday, I would like this. They can go to the store and just be like, oh, it's 70 bucks. pick it up, no big deal. Or, you know, if you walk in and have a little bit of walking around money, $70 – is is one of those things where you can see something that looks cool and buy it and kind of like not think about it, which is why I have a stack of unopened boxes in my in my closet. Um, <laughs> but like that hundred and forty dollar price point, 
it's it's still a great deal, and I do agree with the point that yes, being able to buy a box and play it and have everything you need to play the smaller point games is fantastic, and I love that. It is getting it gets to the point where it requires a little more planning to be able to pick those boxes up. They're not quite at that same level of walk in, pick this up because it looks cool. Like you might do with the video game. You might walk into GameStop and say, oh, this $60 video game that I have not heard of, the cover art looks cool. The the ratings look great. I'll pick it up and play it. It just requires a little more planning. That's that's what we were kind of getting at with the the comparison on the price points. Yeah, it, it's it's is it something that you can just pick up on a whim or is this something you, you plan out a purchase on? And honestly, like if you're talking about getting into a brand new video game infrastructure, like you're switching from, I used to play a Xbox one, but now I'm going to go pay PlayStation five, which actually considering some of the backward compatibility stuff, isn't as smart a move these days as it used to be. But, uh, <laughs> But like if you're if you're switching infrastructures or getting into something like I've never owned a game console before and now I will buy one, that's not something you can just do on a whim. And getting into 40k, if if it's a matter of like I'm going to buy a Combat Patrol box, but I'm also going to need to buy a rule book and codex, you're talking about a $250 outlay, and that's even before you talk about the materials you need to build the models. So. Right. I mean, you're looking at probably around a $300 investment uh, to get started. And that can be that can be hefty. And, and he's right. They, like explaining to somebody that, you know, yes, a $60 game is not always a $60 game. And that's mm-hmm. because we get a lot of games that are either released incomplete because you have there's DLC to buy later that would technically have been in the original game and we could get into a whole discussion on the economics of game production uh i highly recommend checking out the jimquisition a uh, podcast or a yeah. uh, youtube series by jim sterling who he's a, a game journalist who has been covering this very topic for years and he has very strong views so i, I will let you know it's like <laughs> he has extremely strong views on the the economy behind this and and the the gaming uh, market in general, uh, but I would recommend listening to that as well as the uh, the video by Philosophy Tube discussing the philosophy of the game market as described by Jim Sterling. It gets real meta after a couple layers, <laughs> right? But. It's yeah, it's 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 fascinating, but it's uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my my no, favorite I, is his series on on him reading YouTube comments. Oh but. god, the commentocracy <laughs> is so good. <laughs> Be prepared for very loud, yeah. <laughs> loud and and hyper dramatic readings, but it's great. Now, uh, Clay also, and this is another comparison that we have made over this year is comparing uh, Warhammer Forty K to Magic, uh, yep. and the and I think Commander is a really good format to compare it to because it is a format where like once you have stuff, it's good forever. Like you, like Dennis, you still have like twenty eleven Commander decks. Like, uh, on, like in the original some. packaging, don't you? But I mean, you have like no. I broke com- them all out. Yeah, I. But like, I bought I bought some of them from him. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> but like those old commander decks, you could sit down and play a like take one of those like like if some you went into a store and managed to find one at a close to original retail price because they're worth like hundreds of dollars now. But like if you had one from back then that you had just bought and sat and you made no changes in it at all and you brought it to a commander game, you could play a perfectly good game with it right now. Yeah. I mean, they're not as competitive as a 
built deck, but they're still really good. Yeah. And uh, so that idea that like once you've made the investment, unlike, let's say, a video game where eventually that system's not going to be supported or, hey, we shut down the servers for that game. The multiplayer doesn't work anymore. Uh, a game like, you know, where you've actually got a physical product will be playable forever. And, you know, it's kind of along the lines of how we've talked about if you don't like the current edition, well, nobody set fire to your to your old codexes and rules. You can always still play those. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting model, although I will also make a counterpoint that uh, Magic has been selling commander decks lately for like 20 bucks. <laughs> oh wow, Which that's a change. It, yeah. And they're decent decks. So uh they're, you they're can... at least good, really good starting points for yeah. you to, oh, okay. to like upgrade your own. Because they don't really have any particularly great cards in them, aside from maybe the commander, depending on which one it is. Yeah. But there there will be like a few staples in there that you can use in any deck and and there's plenty of guides on how to upgrade them into just like there would be a guide on like, hey, if you just bought this combat patrol, how can you take it to a 2000 point army or what upgrades do you need to make mm-hmm. to make it a competitive list? It's right. the but same it is, kind of concept. Right. But it is playable in its state as you buy it for $20. Yes. So uh, I don't think we'll ever see a Games Workshop playable product be. Be released at a twenty dollar point, right. point level, but yeah. I would own a lot more factions if that was the case. <laughs> you, you think your problem's bad now? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't want that to happen because I. I no. I don't need that pressure. <laughs> but I, I do think it, it's interesting. I also, it's, while I'm talking about like YouTube series to watch, I would also like to point you to. I'm pointing to a lot of people of British or of British origin today because uh, uh, <laughs> don't tut me. <laughs> um, so there's a a ma- formerly only magic uh, YouTuber, but he now does war- uh, magic and Warhammer 40k. And that is Pleasant Kenobi. Uh, uh, and yes, he has great. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he started playing like with ninth edition with the release of ninth edition he decided to get into playing specifically playing blood angels so hey tie into today's episode but uh, uh he has done a number of series like he talks about 40k lore uh, he's done some interesting comparisons between what magic does better than warhammer 40k and what warhammer 40k does better than magic uh he just did an episode on the most expensive models in warhammer 40k uh so uh, if you want to kind of find the intersection between like magic and 40k and how they can relate to each other he's got a really good series of videos to watch on that and also he is a big believer in uh companies should actually make products so that people can play the game so uh, he's a big fan of making sure that like, hey, cards that people need because their de- like formats are dependent on them should be reprinted at reasonable levels so that people can afford them. Just like, hey, models sh- and kits should be available and not necessarily locked in exclusive sets forever. So uh, again, highly recommend these. I will have links to all of these in the show notes, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to continue uh, recommending British uh, YouTubers at this point. I would also like to recommend uh, the YouTuber Merchant because he is also a 40k and Magic player, and it warms my heart whenever he uses, describes a play in Magic as a surprise Carnifex or a distraction Carnifex. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's 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 neat to see my fandoms inter- intersect. 
But uh, but yeah, I think no, I think Clay Clay brings up some fair points, but I also agree with you, Kevin, that we've reached the point where like 40k cannot be an impulse buy. It's something you have to decide yeah. to get into at this point. And and maybe that's not a bad thing. Where like you know the people that are coming into the hobby kind of are, are a little more aware of what they're doing and what they're committing to. So like I'm not even necessarily saying that it's a bad thing. It's just. It's it's that was our conversations that it's kind of moved out of one realm into the other. And as long as GW continues to support it and make it available, like that won't be a problem. But, you know, it it does change it from kind of that impulse buy section that we were in before. Agreed. All right. And that takes us to our second letter, which is uh, from Paul Candle, who uh, we did a list review last episode. And he said he was going to send us an Ekron list. And so he did. And so Paul writes, Hi, Robin Company. Thanks for re- reviewing my AdMech Imperial Knight list. I admit I missed the Assassin's Limitation, and I thought the Pell Tests would work. Now that I realize they don't, and, well, an illegal list is probably not one I want to show up with, it's only money, right? So after $400 plus down the drain, I will build the additions to the list, and I will play them after the first of the year. I will let you know how bad I do. I, I will say that the... Okay, other than the assassin, the assassin, the dual assassin was the only issue. The Peltasts were playable. They just didn't actually use the uh, Forge World dogma because they they don't. They tie into Titan Legions instead. You could. They're still a legal choice. They're just not as effective, I think, as they could be. Right. Uh, anyway, he continues. Uh, the Necron list is a bit different. I would like to take it to a tournament if we ever get out of cooties. I realize it will fall short and expect to lose three out of five games. However, I wanted to make this list with the Void Dragon. The Nightbringer model melted on me. Heat guns. That's all I'll say. That's There's a story behind that. Try, try owning fine cast models in Arizona. Uh, <laughs> anyway <laughs> and a seraptic heavy construct as the focal points i would like your opinion on how to give an opponent a run for their money i did lose the only game i played this list in thus far against a marine list also since i cannot seem to spell out the list correctly i've attached it here for review and he sent us the uh, battle scribe list so here is the list he's put together uh he has a battalion uh which is dynasty zarakon the, so the new dynasty uh, he's running two lords for his HQs. One is his warlord and has the Thrall of the Silent King, uh, which is, expands the size of his auras, I believe. Uh, both of them have resurrection orbs and staffs of light. For troops, he has a unit of five immortals with Goss Blasters and then two units of ten Necron Warriors with Goss Flayers. Uh, he has the uh, Shard of the Void Dragon uh, using the Powers Times Arrow and Voltaic, well, and then his, the built-in Voltaic Storm. A Canoptic Plasma Sight. A unit of Scorpec Destroyers, which are pretty stock. The one with the Reap Blade, two with Threshers. Two units of three Locust Destroyers uh, with the Goss Cannons. And that's the regular Destroyers, not the Heavy Destroyers. Just the Three Locust Destroyers. And then the Super Heavy Auxiliary Detachment, also Zarakon Dynasty, with the Seraptech Heavy Construct, uh, using two Synaptic Obliterators and two Transdimensional Projectors. That is a Forge World unit, and uh, so to let you know what that does, I will crack open the book. Because uh, those guns are actually kind of scary. Yeah, those guns are ridiculous. <laughs> so, let's see. 
Craft World Jacari. Um, Here we go. So this uh, so this is the nice thing about having the app is that I'm able to pull up. Then the time it took you to do that, I was able to also pull up the stats. <laughs> yes, in the layout. <laughs> so uh, this thing is like uh, Serastus Knight level. It's 28 wounds. Uh, moves 12 inches at full health, moves 12 inches, uh, weapon skill 3, ballistic skill 3, strength and toughness 8, like I said, 28 wounds, 6 attacks, 3 up save. Um, it is armed with, uh, it, it always has titanic 4 limbs, which are basically like knight weapons. Uh, you can mm. either attack at double strength, AP minus 3, strength 5, or make uh, 2 hit rolls for each attack at uh, strength 1, AP, or, or strength Eight, so strength user AP minus one, two damage. The synaptic uh, obliterators are seventy-two inch, heavy D three, strength sixteen, AP minus four, six damage. <laughs> and the transdimensional, <laughs> uh, yeah, two of those, and then two of the transdimensional projectors, twenty-four inch range, heavy D six, strength six, AP minus two, uh, D one blast. Uh, yeah. It does explode. Uh and it just a uh, it ex- does d6 mortal wounds on and when it when it's destroyed on a 5 up it does uh uh d6 mortal wounds to everything within 2d6 inches. And then it's got the normal titanic stuff. It can move over things. It has a 5 up and vulnerable save. It has living metal so it's regenerating wounds every turn. It has command protocols and yeah, it's it's a big nasty beastie. So it's actually interesting here because I, because like I said, I am using the Warhammer, you know, Battleforge app to look at all this. And it even includes the designer notes about like the base in the app, which is kind of cool. Yeah. This model does not have a base before deploying the model. Both players must agree the footprint of the model's base in the same way as they would for an area terrain feature. We suggest that an imaginary straight line should be drawn from each point on this model that would touch the battlefield when it's placed on a flat surface. Area within these lines should be considered to be this model's base. If the model yeah. has been posed with one or more legs raised, agree with your opponent where that foot would touch the ground, etc. Yeah, so I just think that's kind of neat that that's included in the in the app with the right next to all the other descriptions. Yeah, so so again, the app when they have the data in there, it's very thorough. Yeah. So so this list, I mean, you've got a couple of big swingers right off the bat. Uh, you obviously the Seraptek is gigantic knight level damage dealing it will kill other knights very easily mhm um where it's going to suffer a little bit is um against infantry although the uh the transdimensional projectors help because they are blast weapons although doing one damage each hurts against marines right now so you've got you've got that which is made to like it has some anti-infantry capability, but it's mostly there to destroy big things. And then you have the Satan shard of the Void Dragon, which is also basically an anti-vehicle, yeah, Satan. Uh, and the two of those together, and he he wants these as the the list to be built around them. So that's a thousand points. <laughs> those two models are half his list. So. It, le- it it makes it hard to work with uh, much else. And so, like, I'm looking at that, like, where am I seeing other duplication? And I'm like, well, do you need, with those two things, do you need the Locust Destroyers? Yeah, because that's, that is um, 330 points that give you basically six Gauss cannon shots. And I don't know that that's the best use of the of the remaining points, just because... Uh, let's see here. Gauss 
Gauss Cannon, Heavy 3, Strength 6, AP minus 3, D3 damage. That's not... They're not bad. bad. But that's also that also seems to fill kind of the... The, your your heavy infantry or small vehicle role, and I think you already have like anti vehicle covered. Um, yeah. So like I, maybe pulling the destroyers out and putting, you know, uh, m- and replacing them with like more Scorpec destroyers or blob out those units of Necron warriors to help take out anti infantry. Um, yeah. Because if you you double you basically could take. The points from the destroyers, and and it's I think you have thirty five points or seventy points left over, but you could take out the two destroyer units, bump up both your Necron warrior units to twenty, and have seventy points left over to spend on something else, um, which could be like you know a, a, a crypt tech or could be you know something else as a more of a support unit, but I, I think you might get more benefit out of having. 20 more guns instead of the instead of the the six gauss cannons it does cut down yeah. on your mobility a little bit because they don't move as fast as the destroyers do but the the destroyers take up a lot of points for what they end up kind of doing right uh as a as a quick aside for the exact same points you cut out the you cut out the destroyers you bump up both ne- uh, warrior units to 20 and then you add two scorepec destroyers and that is exactly the same points Really? Yeah. Because uh, they're thirty five they're they're thirty five points as well. So um that so that's an option. You could change that Scorpec destroyer unit to five and then bump up your Necron Warrior units to twenty and you you've basically spent the same number of points. Yeah. Um and I like I one thing I thought about you could even theoretically shift this down to depending on what how you wanted to arrange stuff you could like if you were if you were fine dropping the plasma site because i don't personally like the plasma site i don't like things that can cause my my units to suicide like if you drop that you could theoretically make this into a patrol instead of a battalion and then drop the you could drop the immortal unit because i don't know if it really gives you much where you're getting like if you've got 40 necron warriors on the field i think you've got like troops covered another possibility i I looked at you know running dual lords is interesting but i also looked at the possibility that for about the same points and actually it's five points over but his list comes in at 1995 you could swap out the two lords for an overlord equipped the same way and a technomancer with a canoptic cloak and so then you've got an overlord who's just a little bit better than a lord. And then the Technomancer can keep uh, those Necron warriors alive longer because they can he can be rezzing like D3 of them every turn. Right. Yeah, that that would be a good option, too, because anything you can do, especially if you're going to if you're going to do what we suggest and bu- bump up those warrior units, anything you can do to keep them alive and on the table for longer is going to be helpful. Right. I mean that's really kind of the the only suggestions I would have to get, just kind of tweak it is I I think the I think the locust destroyers while they're good units I don't think I think they cover what you can already do with the void dragon and the and the 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 heavy the construct yeah yeah strap tech so yeah I think doubling down on more infantry and basically going with two bricks of infantry 
and then the two heavy, you know, the two heavy things behind it. I think that is going to provide a little more flexibility and a little more ability to deal with infantry and snake objectives and things like that. And like then you've got that that immortal unit that can go perform actions and do its thing. Do we have any? Do you have any opinions on the on the immortals as far as like Gauss Blaster versus Tesla carbines? Yeah, it's like I tend to prefer the the Tesla carbines, but they do ma- like they do make the list go over by ten points. At which point, then you drop oh, the plasma okay. site and and you're fine. Yeah. Uh, but the Gauss Bla- Blasters, if you just want a cheaper unit, the the Gauss Blasters fine. Yeah, and yeah, with sure, only the- five immortals, yeah. I don't think you're going to get enough out of like the one or two time like the one shot every round that might give you a six to hit. Yeah, that's fair. Especially if this is just somebody to like either sit in the backfield on one of your objectives or to just run around and do actions, you're not gonna be shooting with them anyway. So I think I think the Ghost Blasters if you're gonna keep the Immortals, Ghost Blaster is fine. Okay. But yeah, so the list I'm looking at as I would build it would be Overlord, uh with a Resorb, Staff of Light. Uh, same warlord trait. We didn't change that up at all. Um, I he, one thing I noticed is he also didn't give anybody a relic. Uh, I would consider the either the orb of eternity to make a better res orb, or uh, the semp internal weave to make your character tougher and and more resilient. Yeah. Uh, te- Technomancer with a canoptic cloak. Five immortals with goss blasters. Two units of twenty necron warriors with goss flayers. Uh, the void dragon plasma sight. Five Scorpic Destroyers, uh, one with Reap Blade, four with Threshers, although I think they're pretty much the same point value. It's the, Yeah, it's the same if you decide to swap so, that out. So just, you know, mix and... Oh, you can only have one with the Reap Blade, so you, the others have to have Threshers, so... Okay, so yeah. So, yeah, one one Reap Blade and four Threshers, and that will make... That unit will be really scary to deal with. Right. And then the uh, Seraptek. I think having more more shots from the Necron Warriors will also help deal with things like, you know, Marines, because you've got to do twice as many wounds to take them out. Also, one thing that the Overlord has that the Lord does not is my will be done. So mm. you can actually make one of those Necron Warriors units better for, you know, each turn. So uh, I think the Overlord's just a better choice, and he's only 30 points more. Uh, I think that's a better, that and the Technomancer are a better choice than two Lords. And yeah, I, yes, you are going to struggle because you're effectively running a thousand point list with two big baddies attached to it. Right. But 20 Necron warriors, especially with a, a res orb available, are going to be really hard to shift because to wipe that unit out, they've got to wipe it out in one attack or, yeah. or slowly whittle it away because of how reanimation protocols work now. And with the Technomancer being able to return D3 of them every turn, you're just in a really good position to just have one of those bricks stay on the table you know it's funny we got we have more rolling from the new reanimation protocols and then we streamlined it on death guard right <laughs> yeah hey you win some you lose some you, yeah <laughs> um let's see was there anything else i want like i didn't know if there was any of the crypto arcana Let's see, Flactrine Hive. Ah, that's 20 points. It's a little bit too much. I'm going to see if there's... There's three of them that cost 15 points, but I don't know if any of them are really worth taking. Um, One I could see, like, if you decided you didn't want the Plasma Site, you could drop it in res- in exchange for a crypto ge- crypto Geometric Adjuster. 
And that at the start of your opponent's shooting phase, you can select one enemy unit that's within 12 inches of invisible to the bearer until the end of the phase. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, subtract one from the attack's hit roll. Uh, if you're, if, if you're worried somebody's going to get too close to your, uh, to your Technomancer, that could make them survive a bit longer. It's not necessarily a must have in any way. But uh, it would be it'd be an option if you wanted to go that route. If you like what the plasma site does for the uh, Scorpeg destroyers, though, then yeah, just continue to use that. But uh, yeah, so Paul, hopefully that like we we tried really hard to not change up the list too much. But yeah, and with Necrons, you can never really go bad with more Necron warriors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you have a letter you want us to read on the air or a list you'd like us to review or questions, any, you know, questions, concerns, uh, commentary, anything like that, uh, there's three good ways to get your letter read on the air. First is to email us. Our email addresses are our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Second is our Facebook page. We are at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. You can like us there, follow us and see what we're working on, get updates on when uh, new episodes are coming, et cetera etc. A third is at Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And uh, we take comments and and questions from all those sources, throw them into the hopper and get through as many as we can in an episode. I think we have one army list uh, in the hopper from Facebook. We try to only do one army list an episode if we can, because they do take a little bit longer to get through. But uh, so the hopper is mostly empty. uh, So if you want to get your letter read on the air, now is a good time to get it in. Uh, Also, if you want to help support the show, we do have a Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. However, if you have spare money to spend on us on a pay for Patreon, we would actually prefer that you put that money first towards local charities in your area, especially given the time and the season we're in right now. Uh, So food banks, homeless shelters, toys for tots is a great program program to get buy some toys and donate them for kids who might not have much of a Christmas this year because of money being tight for their families. So if you have the money to put towards us, put them towards those other causes first. But if after that you do want to continue to support us, as I said, we are patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, that money helps us pay for hosting, pay for our recording services, keep our microphones in good shape. And eventually when traveling is safe, uh, it will allow us to travel and cover events again. But in the meantime, uh, we're just using it to to hold down the fort and keep ourselves safe at home and, and keep putting out content for you all. So uh, we do really appreciate all the people who do support us. And if you want to support us, even if it's only at a dollar a month enough people put in a dollar it adds up and it's what helps us keep us going so uh so we're gonna go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification and when we come back it'll be time to look at codex supplement blood angels see you in a bit miniatures we build them we paint them we love them that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely and that's where care multicase comes in They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, 
KR Multicase has cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at Codex Supplement Blood Angels. Uh, Now, again, just like Space Wolves, this is a Codex Supplement. This book does not and cannot run on its own. So you will need your handy-dandy Codex Space Marines for 9th edition, and that's also because that's where your chapter tactic is, because Blood Angels do actually have a chapter tactic now. And uh, that chapter tactic is Red Thirst which they had this ability in their previous codex. They decided to make it a chapter tactic to make it consistent with everything else. Uh, Add one to advance and charge rolls made for units with this tactic, and each time a model with this tactic makes a melee attack, if that model's unit made a charge move, was charged, or performed a heroic intervention this turn, add one to that attack's wound roll. So you are more likely to get there, and you are more likely to hurt them when you do. And if that doesn't give you the feeling of what uh, Blood Angels are all about, yeah, basically this is an army that is meant to be a assault army, similar to Space Wolves, but in a different way. Right. Separate, but legally distinct. <laughs> Separate, but legally distinct. And whereas last time we were talking about werewolves, this time we're talking about vampires. Because that's what sparkle? the red... Th- uh, no, unless they're the gold ones. The gold ones might sparkle. Yeah. Like Sanguinary Guard might sparkle. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Blood Angels are basically, they are one of the founding chapters, and their thing is that on the outside, they are, like, perfect physical specimens. They all come out looking like Greek gods. The downside is that that hides a hidden flaw in that they they thirst for blood, and uh, no one's really sure why they thirst for blood. However, they also have one other problem in that their Primarch uh, died during the Horus Heresy was actually cut down by Horus himself. And that was what basically then led to the Emperor and Horus fighting. But uh, Sanguinius was cut down. Sanguinius, the most beautiful of the Primarchs with his big white angel wings, because that's not a mutation. In his death, some sort of weird psychic connection between him and all the benefactor, the people receiving his gene seed, has caused weird psychic ripples throughout the bloodline, and they all suffer from this thing called the Black Rage. Uh, in combat, they are 
occasionally stricken with visions of not just of Sanguinius dying, but of being Sanguinius during the final fighting of the Horse Heresy. And that can make eventually cause them to just go mad, in which point the only thing you can do with them is point them at the thing you want killed and have them die. And literally have them die. Like, at, at the end of the battle, if they, you know, there's no... With a few exceptions, I should say, there's no coming back <laughs> from the uh, from the black rage, and so the idea is that like you you paint you put them in black armor, you send them towards something that you want killed, and anybody that survives on your in the blood angel side is then put put down by their chaplains, and uh, that black rage will come back a number of times in this codex because they've actually done some interesting things to model that. But yeah, this is a close this is a close combat army, which might remind you of another close combat army that is painted up in all red, and that would be World Eaters Chaos Space Marines. Except that Blood Angels get way more like diversity in how they can attack. They <laughs> yeah, they packs. actually get <laughs> yeah they get options. There's also a uh, a successor chapter to the Blood Angels that gets a little bit of extra attention and that's the flesh tears and they're the ones that basically they take that red thirst and crank it up to the next level at least storyline wise the idea is they're just absolutely they're so vicious in combat that they've been threatened with like being tra branded as heretics in the past and rather than you know they're but they are loyal and their their chapter master gabriel seth tries to make sure that they are pointed at the right thing so that they can take that that vicious like monstrous fury which again makes them real close to court berserkers uh they can at least take it out on enemies of the imperium so flesh tears get their own chapter tactic which is uh they get the the wound roll if you were char if charged were charged or performed a heroic inter intervention so they get at plus one to the wound roll and then on unmodified wound rolls of six they're uh the AP on their melee weapons go up by one, and that does stack with Assault Doctrine. So once Assault Doctrine's up, that's a minus two to AP. So that's the, like their attacks on sixes will what will get through more often than not. Uh, I still I think the Blood Angels one is better because that advance and charge roll bonus is huge, but uh, just because make it makes charges consistent, which is very important. Yeah. But uh, then that takes us that takes us out of the Space Marine Codex and into the Blood Angel Supplement. Uh, the book is like the artwork in this is beautiful, as suits the Blood Angels, who are also just like they are beautiful. Uh, they are known for being like master artisans and crafting everything to look beautifully. And again, this like the the fluff section is not really long it's it's pretty compact they do cover a lot of the successor chapters and like give the the armor paint jobs for those uh they cover the special like markings that blood angels have for example like different like if you're a close support like assault unit you have yellow helmets their heavy support and fire support have blue helmets so their veterans wear gold helmets and you'll see that like throughout the army but they you know they cover like all the different markings and everything and then we get into the rules and they also talk about the combat patrol, which we talked about last episode. So this is this one's interesting in that they don't jump right out with like the uh, super doctrine or anything. They they actually start with the uh, chapter approved like uh, mission rules. I kind of want to save those for later though, because I think mm -hmm. it's more important to see how the army plays and then see how these play into that. So we'll come back to this page. 
But uh, then we get to detachment abilities. And their detachment ability, which is the same as it was uh, in uh, the Psychic Awakening books, is Savage Echoes. Whilst the uh, Assault Doctrine is active, each time this unit fights, if it made a charge, move, was charged, or performed heroic intervention this turn, then until the fight is resolved, add one to the attacks characteristic of models in this unit. And while it does not specifically state here, that does also stack with uh, Shock Assault from Space Marines. So when you charge somebody during the Assault Doctrine, you are getting two extra attacks. Good old school Furious Charge. I like it. Yep. And the plus one to wound basically kind of keys off the old plus one strength that they used to have with Furious Charge as well. So, mm -hmm. uh, And then we get to – and I, I talked about uh, the Black Rage. Uh, there are units that are specifically marked as Death Company, and, and we'll talk about those. But this is the first time we've been able to make anybody – or not anybody, but like been able to make a character into Death Company that wasn't already one. So there's a rule called The Lost. If your army is battleforged, then when mustering your army, you can upgrade up to one captain and up to two lieutenant units, excluding named characters, in Blood Angels attachments to be inducted into the Death Company. Each time you do, the unit gains the Death Company keyword, and the power rating of that unit is increased, as shown below. It always goes up uh, one power, and then captains cost 20 more points, lieutenants cost 10 more. The following apply to models that have been inducted into the Death Company. They gain the Black Rage and Death Visions rules. We'll talk about that in a bit. A model inducted to the Death Company cannot be your Warlord and cannot be given Chapter Command upgrades. A Captain model has its rights of battle ability replaced with the following Rights of Rage. It, whenever a, uh, While a Death Company, friendly Death Company core unit is within six inches of this model, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, reroll a hit roll of one. So basically change the aura to only affect a Death Company core. And Lieutenants get their uh, reroll wound rolls of one or a change to, again, only affect a Death Company because they're too crazy for anyone else to listen to them anymore. <laughs> Uh, however, Death Company character units are excluded from the Company Command Rule, the one that says you can only have one captain and two lieutenants in a detachment. This means you, uh, a detachment can include both one Death Company captain and another captain unit. Uh, in a Crusade Force, a model cannot be upgraded in this matter. Crusade rules provide an alternate journey in which these models can be inducted into the Death Company. So this is a match play only rule. But I do like that it, you have the option to make a character Death Company for the hell of it. So I, I like that. Something we haven't had before. I like it because, like, how you could potentially apply this to other factions as well. Like, it's a cool framework to be able to add in some of those faction bonuses. So, like, for example, for Death Guard, if you want to upgrade just your normal chaos lord you know and make him make him a death guard you know death guard uh or an ergoblast like you just like oh yeah you add this you add this and then these rules change and like that's a really cool framework to be able to use for other factions going forward so i i definitely like that yeah no i do do okay so before we get into strategy and things like that i'm going to jump ahead to page 63 because that's where we're going to talk about how that black rage and this new death visions ability works so we've had Black Rage before, and it generally means you shrug off wounds and you do even you have even more attacks when you fight, which, you know, it makes Death Company that much nastier, which is why you might want to make like a Smash Captain into a Death Company Smash Captain. So here's what Black Rage does, and it's been tweaked a little bit. In your movement phase, each time this unit is selected to move, it cannot fall back. So once you're in combat, you stay in combat till somebody's dead, which is very fluffy for Black for uh you know death company you are not going to mm -hmm. fall back and retreat you are going to fight until one or both of you is dead 
each time this unit fights, if it made a charge move or performed a heroic intervention, so not if you were charged, they have to be on the attack. Then units, then until that fight is resolved, add one to the attack's characteristic of models in this unit. So yet another attack that will stack with Savage Echoes and a Shock Assault. Nice. Each time a model in this unit would lose a wound, roll a d6. On a six, the wound is not lost. That six up feel no pain. They've had that, like, forever. And then finally, this is an interesting one. This unit cannot perform any actions as described in the 40k core rulebook. That seems fair. Like, that seems like a fair trade. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you are making a unit that is meant to just go out and kill. They are not a strategically focused unit. They are not going to, like, sit there and raise their It's kind of like Wolfen in, uh, when we mm-hmm. talked about Space Wolves. They, they, and they, Death Company fills kind of that same slot is a unit that is there to just point at something and make it go away. And that's, that's what they're going to do. And having rules that uh, reflect that, I think, again, it's a good way to bring uh, fluff into this whilst and, and also use it as a balancing factor. It's like, why would I ever run anything but Death Company? Well, this this is the reason right here, because I hope you don't like scoring by doing actions, because you can't. But with the ability to take an HQ who is Death Company and then, like, take a chaplain who could be your warlord, you could actually make a very thematic all death company army with a chaplain there because that is very you know fluff appropriate and you can make an entire death company detachment army and i think that that having that ability is very cool and it's something we like you had to kind of work around it in the past and now they give you the tools to make a more thematic army in match play which is great now that death visions ability this is a rule that only characters who are also death company have and there's a couple of them in the in the actual data sheets and then any character that you've inducted into the death company has this once per battle when this model is selected to fight it can use one of the death visions listed below the same death vision cannot be used more than once per battle so if you had more than one character they have to use different ones on the bridge of the vengeful spirit, entering the bridge of the arch traitor's flagship, all that stands between the warrior and Horister is a host of traitor legionnaires. A model can only use this death vision if any enemy infantry character or monster character models are visible to it. If a monster uses this death vision, then until that fight is resolved, add one to the model's attacks characteristic for every five enemy models that are within six inches of it. Each time that model makes an attack, you can reroll the hit roll. So basically, like, if you need to kill all the guys between you and the thing you can see, you use this one. Uh, Grace of the Angel. Horus prepares to deliver the final strike against his brother, but when the fatal blow lands, his weapon somehow shatters against Sanguinius's golden breastplate. The Blood Angel's Primarch still lives, and with renewed hope, the duel continues. A model can only use this death vision if any enemy infantry character or monster character models are within engagement range of it. If the model uses this death vision, then until the end of the turn, that model has a three-up and vulnerable save. And then to slay the War Master, striking at a chink in the War Master's armor, this warrior attempts to land a killing blow to end the heresy in its tracks. A model can only use this death vision if any infantry character or monster character models are within engagement range of it. If a model uses this death vision, then instead of making any attacks for that fight, both players roll off. If you win, select one of those enemy models. That model suffers D3 plus 3 mortal wounds. <sighs> yeah, I mean, you can... <laughs> Like these are cool, and they're like they're one-offs that you use, and I like how they've thematically described it as you are having visions of that final battle against Horus, and I like again, I like how they've modeled it. They all make sense, and they're all things that will come through in a pinch for your Death Company characters. So again, it's cool, fluffy rules that have an interesting impact on the tabletop. 
Yeah, I like that. And this is a trend. Like I, I feel like this is true even more for this army than it was for like Space Wolves. Space Wolves kind of like pointed you to like use certain units because it was more Space Wolfy. This actually like encourages you to play like Blood Angels and, and play like the fluff describes. Yeah. Um, then we get into uh, so now we're gonna fall back to page forty eight, which we are obviously not the Death Company because we can fall back, and. Uh, going to talk about stratagems uh some of these are old strats that are being have been brought back like descent descent of angels i uh, use this although some of these have been changed a bit um use a strat at the end of your movement phase select one blood angels core jump pack unit from your army that was set up on the battlefield during the reinforcement step of this phase so somebody who has dropped in uh, each time a charge roll is made for that unit, you can ignore any or all modifiers to the charge roll. And each time a model in that unit makes an attack, add one to the attack's hit roll. So you can't be slowed down and you're more likely to hit. It doesn't make the charges more likely. It's not going to let you reroll charge rolls or anything like that. So it's not as powerful as like Descent of Angels used to be. Because Descent of Angels used to be... Yeah, I let you do 3d6 charges instead of 2d6 charges. So it's nowhere near yeah. what Descent of Angels used to be. But that's fine. Like, I think that I don't think it needs to be as quite as insane as it was because Descent of Angels oh, no, used it, to be really powerful. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was way too good before. And now it's like it's a nice to have, but it's not not a powerful one. Uh, Vengeance for Sanguinius. Remember how last episode we said Space Wolves and Thousand Suns hate each other and the Space Wolves want Thousand Suns dead? This is true for Blood Angels and Black Legion. So it's the same thing. You can reroll uh, in melee attacks. You can reroll attack hit attacks and reroll wound rolls so nice. very fluffy not going to come up very often unless you're playing against that one you know black legion player in a tournament in which screw that guy <laughs> refusal to die is an interesting one it lets your death company shrug off wounds on a five up instead of six up i don't know if that's enough of a bonus to uh spend a command point on but maybe yeah Flesh Terrors get a strat that lets them do an, uh, move an extra three inches when they pile in or consolidate so they can stay in fights. Yeah, and again, I'm not going to cover all of these. Uh, so, okay, here's an interesting one. Uh, Visions of Sanguinius. Use a strat when a Death Company character model from your army is selected to fight. Uh, if you have already used a Death Vision, it can use another Death Vision this phase. And if you have not already used a Death Vision, you can use two Death Visions this phase. Hmm. But they can't be a death vision you've used before. So yeah, it just gives you an extra use of that death vision ability. So again, only ties in if you're using death company characters. But again, a way to kind of make that even more powerful. We get the standard extra warlord trade, extra relics, relics for sergeants. V Lucifer pattern engines are a strat that you can use before battle. To uh, You can use on any vehicle that's not a dreadnought or a model that can fly. Uh, and it gains the following ability, overcharged engines. Anytime you advance, you don't roll. You just automatically advance six, which is fine. It depends on how many non-flying vehicles you're going to be using. Like, I can think of like the one in here that they would want you to use. And also, like, the newer, like, the Impulsor no longer has fly. The Repulsor doesn't have fly. So you can have overcharged engines on those. They used to have the fly keyword, but they don't now. <laughs> That seems like that's what that's for, so that you can make, you know, your your ball pattern um, redempt no, not redemptors, but you know the 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 new the new tanks and like keep them in fluff with like your your other like ball pattern like predators and and things. So uh, it's 
I don't know that it's necessarily worth the command point, but like that's, you know, it's a neat fluff option for people that want it. Yeah. Uh, Red Rampage, uh, this basically gives your Blood Angels the uh, same ability that uh, Flesh Terrors do, where they're uh, on sixes, their attacks with melee weapons and pistols uh, get a better AP, and that does stack with the Assault Doctrine. So if you want to make sure that your attacks absolutely land, not a bad thing to have. Here's another one that was very popular with Death Company uh, armies in past editions, Forlorn Fury. Uh, basically, it lets your you select a Death Company unit from your army. It can make a normal move of up to 12 inches as if it were your movement phase. Now, it says a normal move of up to 12 inches. I don't know if... I'm not sure if that means a foot Death Company could move up to 12, or if they'd have... Like, would they have to have the jetpack to move up to 12? Because that would be a normal move for them. And then they just have to uh, stay nine inches away from enemy units before the first turn, which is pretty standard for those, like, move before the first turn abilities. Mm -hmm. And then Upon Wings of Fire, which used to be an ability that uh, was a strat that would basically let you pull a unit from the battlefield and then just deep strike it somewhere else immediately, that's been toned down to you remove it from the battlefield, and then in your next reinforcements phase, you can place it. So it, it takes them a turn to get wherever you're going. It does take them off the board, though, so they can't be shot at, which is nice. And th those are the main ones I would focus on strat-wise. Uh, if you're playing uh, Flesh Tears, they also have uh, a strat that helps them with combat attrition. There's a strat that lets psychers try to do one additional psych uh, psychic power. Mostly, like, the ones you're going to look at would have been, like, Descent of Angels, Forlorn Fury, Upon Wings of Fire, because those are the ones that were big in last edition. They're still usable. They're just not quite where they were in the past. Right. Warlord traits are uh, pretty similar. Like, Speed of the Primarch still lets you fight first. Artisan of War uh, has changed. It doesn't let you add damage to a rel to your Warlord's weapon. Instead, it lets your Warlord have extra uh, Relic War gear that stacks, that then they can have it even if they already have a Relic. Soul Warden, instead of letting you resist psychic powers, it gives you a 5-up feel-no-pain. Or it gives anybody within six inch, any blood angels within six inches of your warlord, a five up feel no pain against mortal wounds. Um, heroic bearing lets uh, adds three inches to your various aura ranges and adds one to their leadership instead of allowing you to auto automatically pass morale like it did before. Uh, Gift of foresight it used to give you a uh, the ability to ignore wounds on on a uh, d6 like on a six up instead you can reroll one hit roll one wound roll and one saving throw in each turn for the warlord i think that's actually a little bit better it's just more more generally useful and then finally selfless valor uh, is actually the same you can heroically intervene six inches instead of just three nice um flesh tears also get their own warlord traits uh which is basically additional attacks additional hits or uh, the last one, uh, anytime you charge enemy units that were targeted to charge, can't fire overwatch and you can reroll charge rolls. I mean, that's probably the one you're going to want to take. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, also, we got the sanguinary discipline back, which they had lost in their like temporary index. And everyone was wondering if it was still going to be available. It's uh, it is now back and it's still pretty good. Uh, quickening uh, lets you reroll advance and charge rolls and adds D3 Units to the Psyker's number of attacks, which with a couple of the Psyker's in here, that's actually pretty good. Um, Unleash Rage uh, 
lets your attacks explode on six for or you target a blood angels core unit within 12 inches their attacks explode on six a uh, shield of sanguinius gives you a five up uh, invulnerable save which is what it did before uh, blood boil uh, does pretty much the same thing it does before you target somebody roll 2d6 if it's higher than their uh, toughness it's uh, d3 mortal wounds if it's more than double their toughness it's three mortal wounds Uh, blood lance draw a line units take mortal wounds on a five up if it goes over them that hasn't changed and then finally wings of sanguinius uh, still lets you uh, if manifested the psyker can make a normal move or fall back move as if it were your movement phase, in addition, until the end of the phase, Psyker has a 12-inch move and the fly keyword. So um, th- that's pretty much the same. Although before, it lasted until the end of your next Psychic phase, so you could like fly for two turns effectively. Now it's just the turn you cast it. Which also makes sure that like anything that would target you because you have the fly keyword on your opponent's turn doesn't trigger. So... It just cleans that up. It balances it, cleans it up. It's still good, though. Like, a free 12-inch move yeah. with fly is still good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, relics. Uh, some of these are the same. Some have gone away. There's one one of note called uh, the uh, the Angel's Wing that went away. We'll get to it in a bit, because it does show up. Uh, but it's it's not in there. Um, Hammer of Balls, a better Thunder Hammer, which was in the, uh, which is in the old Codex. Galleon Staff, which, uh, makes it easier for you to, uh, manifest psychic powers. And actually now it manifests, instead of helping you manifest smite, it helps you manifest sanguinary powers. So it's a little bit more in chapter for it. Crimson, uh, there's two that are just for, uh, Flesh Terrors, including one that is just for Flesh Terror Terminator characters. But actually, uh, and most of the relics from, like, a couple of the relics from the uh, old Codex made it in, and I think a couple more from Psychic Awakening, but um, most of these are okay. They're, like, the Angel's Wing used to be the must-take, and it's not available in most play anymore. Yeah. We do get uh, Special Issue War Gear, which you can also take. Uh, Gleaming Pinions is actually a good one for uh, if you're doing jump characters. Uh, you can make a charge in turn in which you fell back, and you can reroll charge w- rolls made for the bearer. And sometimes, even if that just means I want to fall back and charge the same guy again to get the extra attacks for Shock Assault and Savage Echoes and such, it's still worth it. Let's see. Archangel's Shard gives you a better Power Sword. With AP minus four instead of AP minus three, plus two strength instead of plus one strength. And hey, each time an attack is made against a chaos unit, it's uh, three damage. If it's chaos monster unit, it does four damage per swing. So that one's actually probably worth taking, too. Yeah, that's pretty solid. (laughs) Yeah. And then we get into Crusade rules. And here's where, like, they talked about, like, in Crusade, you can't just induct someone into the Lost. And... There's a reason why we don't generally cover a lot of crusade, but I, th- I just wanted to talk about this because it's very cool because there's a mm-hmm. whole page devoted to the flaw. If your crusade force in- includes any blood angels units, you must keep an additional note of each unit's flaw points on its crusade card named characters and death company units do not accrue fl- flaw points. They've either mastered the black rage or have already lost to it. If a model is replaced as the result of using the even in death, I still serve or Rubicon Primaris requisitions, 
you just transfer the flaw points over. At the end of each, after each battle, you must take a black rage test for each unit from your army. To do so, you roll the d6 and you compare that result to the that unit's enemy units destroyed with melee weapons during this battle. Because there's actually a spot on your crusade card where you're supposed to track that. If you roll less than the number of units destroyed in melee then the Black Rage test has failed and you gain a flaw point. Anytime you get their third flaw point, you roll 3d6. If you rolled less than their leadership, so if you rolled low, they keep the they kept control and you take that last flaw point away, so then they stay at two. If you equal or exceed their leadership, they fall to the Black Rage. If a captain or lieutenant uh, falls, then you, immediately, you either have to remove them or you use a, there's a zero or you, there's a requisition which costs zero points in this case called descent into madness, which you induct them into the death company following the rules earlier in, in the book. If any other character unit excluding dreadnoughts succumbs to the black rage, you remove them and then you can replace them with a death company lieutenant. If it was Primaris, it has to be a Primaris lieutenant. If a dreadnought fell to the black rage, you have to replace them with a death company dreadnought. If any other unit succumbs to the Black Rage, that unit immediately suffers a devastating blow result, which causes you to lose experience points to represent that the people involved were taken away. And that, yeah, they, they yeah, basically, and if this unit failed an out-of-action test and you choose for them to suffer a devastating blow result, the unit would lose a total of 2d6 experience points, and then you reduce the flaw points by one. So, like, the whole thing is basically, like, if you have somebody either they get replaced if it's a character or a dreadnought they get replaced with the death company version otherwise you lose experience because the people got went mad and have to be replaced with other people um your death company characters obviously never gain flaw points because they're already gone um death company marines and death company intercessors don't ever gather uh, don't ever gain experience they're assumed to pass any out of action tests, so they they never go out of action. So they also never accrue battle scars. Each when you muster crusade army, each time you include a death company marine or death company intercessor unit, you select a battle trait for that unit and note on the roster. Each time, and then when units succumb to the black rage, they make those death company units better for a battle. Also, which I think is cool. So they've got this entire system here where it's like you're constantly having to make sure that your characters don't fall to the Black Rage. And the best way to do it is not kill things in melee, which is funny because that's what your army's made to do. But if you kill too many things in melee, you lo- you succumb to the bloodlust. Right. So like you're like if you've got blood, blood angels like Hellblasters, they're probably never really going to fall because they're not likely to get in melee. But your assault units and your characters – they like if they kill enough like if you send in a like a character and just turn them into a blunder yeah they might fall to the black rage pretty fast <laughs> it'll take a couple of battles but they could they could fall and also at any time like when you're doing requisition you can just spend a requisition point and say oh nope he fell he's he's death company now and they also like chaplains are supposed to help the blood angels kind of keep focused. And when somebody goes to the death company, the chaplains are the ones who can kind of like, no, 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 no. You guys, I'm going to herd cats and send you all this way. So they've got a custodian of the lost ability, uh, purchase this requisition when, it, for, when a blood angels, uh, chaplain from your model, uh, reaches the, gains the battle hardened rank. 
increase the model's crusade total by one, and then make a note that they gain the following ability. If this model is part of your crusade army, you can reroll one failed black rage test taken at the end of the battle. So if there's a unit you don't want to follow the black rage, this can help you with that. That's cool. Yeah, so I I really like how they've worked the the Black Rage into Crusade and made it part of like we've talked about how Crusade is supposed to be kind of like the role playing way to play 40k with an army and watch it grow and evolve as time goes on and I really like how they've worked that into this I, I think it's it's done in a way that we haven't seen for any other army I mean we've seen armies like Space Marines where it's like oh this character is badly injured I'm going to put him into Dreadnought or this character is Primaris now um and we're going to see it some in like uh, Dark Angels with uh, the interrogating the fallen and things like that. But this is the first one where they've taken a fluff aspect of it and worked it not in just into the match play rules, but really worked it into the narrative rules in a way that feels organic and is going to tell a story as you play your games in Crusade. I really like this and it really makes me want to play a Crusade army with this. And then, uh, Briefly looking at Crusade Relics, uh, we have a relic that we might have mentioned earlier. The Angel's Wing is back as a Crusade-only relic. And it still does what it did before. Enemy models can't fire Overwatch at you, and you can reroll charge rolls for that character. This is how you balance those. Like, you want to have this in the game, but it's too broken for match play. Make it a Crusade item. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, like... I'm glad that the the Angel's Wing didn't just go away, but it is it is too good for match plates. It makes Blood Angels like it, it was what made Smash Captain so consistent for a long time. Is you could like, oh yeah, they can't shoot at you, like they can't stop you from charging. You're gonna get there, and once you get there, you're just gonna be a blunder. Oh yeah, you'll still do that, but it's narrative only. And I hope we see more of that. I hope we see more of those like problematic relics. I don't necessarily want to see problematic relics just toned down. Because that kind of takes some of the fun out of them. You know, we see it sometimes with like strats already, where it's like, ah, this strat used to be really good, and now it's it's okay. I kind of like having these items that are like, these are really cool, but they're too cool for tournament play. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're just going to get into data sheets. Um, we'll go through these relatively quickly. They do have a lot of characters. They're right up there with Ultramarines and Space Wolves is for having a ton of characters. Most of these, like, there's only, like, one character who's been upgraded to Primaris, and that's uh, Chief Librarian Mephiston, who is basically the same data sheet as he had in Psychic Awakening. He's a beast. He can uh, manifest two psychic powers a turn. He knows three from Sanguinary. His, like, he has a sword that makes him strength 10, because he's normally strength 5, tough 5, 6 wounds. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a monster. So, I mean, he's, he's a very good choice for a, uh, for a, li- for a librarian, but, uh, Commander Dante's still around. He's been upgraded to be the Lord Regent of the Imperium Nihilus. So basically, he, uh, Gilliman put him in charge of everything on the far side of the rift. So he gives you an additional command point if he's your warlord. Nice. And otherwise, he has the various chapter master abilities. Uh, you know, so he's got the same auras, you know, select somebody to, re- you can pick a unit to reroll uh, hit rolls. He can, ha- you know, model core units within six inches and reroll ones. Then he also has epic hero of the Imperium. Uh, once per battle, if the model is selected to use an epic deed stratagem, it's free. 
because he's just that cool. Which the main ones that's going to apply to is Angel Sacrifice. Uh, use the stratagem in the fight phase. Select a Blood Angels character unit from your army until the end of that phase. Each time an enemy unit is selected to fight, if a model in that unit is within engagement range of this character, then the attacks can only... So basically, he can draw attacks just to him for free once per game. So that that's kind of cool. Uh, Gabriel Seth is still there. His Whirlwind of Gore ability has changed several times. In the previous codex, it was... Let's see. It previously let his attacks, uh, his hits explode on sixes. Now he just fights a second time. Okay. So much easier to, to manage. Yeah. He's got, yeah. he's got five attacks base. He's going to have more when he, you know, cause he's going to charge in. So he'll have shock attack, shock attacks. So he'll have six attacks. If it's assault phase, he'll have seven attacks. Yeah. <laughs> he's fine. I do like the fact, and I think they did this in last edition, but like his Blood Reaver Chainsword is like, you know, strength times two, AP minus two, three damage. So it is a beat stick weapon and not just, you know, a chainsword like it used to be. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a strength eight, strength eight, three damage chainsword with, yeah, yeah. It, it's scary. But I, I remember, I think it was in sixth edition where he was a Lord of War. Like you had to like, sacrifice a lord of war slot to get him in your army and he just had a chainsword and it's like yeah. this seems not this ideal a, <laughs> yeah so no he's he, like i think flesh tears actually have some of the best support they've had for army building in a long mm-hmm. time so if you want to play flesh tears he's a very solid choice um you've got the sanguinor who is still like a pretty neat choice He's got a little bit more actually going on than he had in previous versions. Because before, it's like, okay, an aura of, like, extra attacks. Which he still has, and it specifies that it does not stack with shock assaults. So, you know, it's like, if you're stuck, it's more useful if you're stuck into combat. Mm -hmm. However, uh, he has angelic angelic visage now. uh, Melee attacks against him are at minus one to hit. This model, this unit can uh, deep strike... And how it deep strikes is interesting. At the end of heroic intervention step of your opponent's charge phase, if this model has not yet been set up on the battlefield, and if any enemy units finished a charge move within engagement range of any friendly Blood Angels units this phase, you can set up this model within engagement range of one of those enemy units. And it count so you can deep That's strike heroic cool. intervene. That is very cool. Well, and also since you didn't dis- well, and I guess you would still get shock assault because. You get shock assault when you're assaulted. So the yeah. mo- well, you was, get shock assault yeah. when you heroically intervene. Also, and the model counts right. as having heroically intervened. So yeah, I was yes. just thinking. I'm like, oh, you you just pop up and also get your extra attacks, but you'd still get the extra yeah. attacks anyway. But yeah. still, yeah, character just popping in, which is very thematic and fluffy for what the Sanguinor does on the battlefield. He just pops up where he's needed. So yes, so it's something he didn't have. Last time. Uh, he also has Avenging Angel. He can uh, fall, fall back and charge. And he can heroically intervene six inches horizontally and five inches vertically instead of three and five. So he can heroically That's... intervene further. He can deep strike heroically intervene. Uh, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh. I, otherwise, his stat line's the same. His, uh, his broadsword, instead of doing D3 damage, it just does a flat two. But it also, if he w- does an unmodified wound roll of six, it does a mortal wound in addition. So it's nice. even more consistent damage than before. Let's see. There's Brother Corbulo, who is the best sanguinary priest, which sanguinary priests are basically their apothecaries. But they also have an ability to... Uh, he can basically make a unit uh, 
consider act, uh, assault doctrine to be active if they're within six inches at the time. So I will say this, like Brother Corborlo is the other one that I wish they had gone ahead and primarisified because Agreed. A, his model is garbage. It is. It's an ancient model. It's ancient and it doesn't look good. It doesn't match up with the aesthetic of the other sanguinary priests. Also, a primaris sanguinary priest would have been amazing. So yeah. like he and seems like that would have been a very that was a kind of a miss in my opinion of like nah we can have him cross over and then now you have a beefed up primaris sanguinary priest which would have been awesome but eh, right. whatever <laughs> and uh, sanguinary priests are uh, basically have a similar ability where um, you select a friend so the different okay so the sanguinary priest can pick a core unit or character unit within six inches and that unit treats uh, the uh, assault doctrine is active. Uh, Corbulo's is just an aura of everybody within six inches treats assault doctrine as active. Yeah. Now Corbulo is good. Like he yeah. uh, he's got a good ability. It's just his model is uh, not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, he lost his ability to uh, re-roll a single die roll for him every turn. He is no longer. He no longer has the far seeing eye. Yeah. I think uh, we'll live. He's still pretty. Yeah. He's still pretty decent. We talked briefly about Mephiston, who is like who's just. I mean, he is primarified now, and he's he's just a monster. Like I said, and six it's, attack. And it's a great model. <laughs> oh, it's the new model is fantastic too. Uh, you know, he ignores wounds on a five up. He's got a ton of psychic powers, which means you can also give him. You know, Wings of Sanguinius and Shield of Sanguinius. Well, actually, I don't think he needs Shield of Sanguinius because he already has a 5-up and Vulnerable. Or, no, he doesn't have a 5-up. He has a 5-up Feel No Pain. So, yeah, you can give him a 5-up and Vulnerable and let him fly for a turn and give him Quickening and just make him a beat stick. You can also do the same thing to a Librarian Dreadnought. He won't know as many Psychic Powers because he'll know one less, but a flying Quickened Librarian Dreadnought is also terrifying. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Although, okay, so here, this is interesting, though. Okay, the big thing, like, he had the, the, the Furioso Force Halberd, the big Force Halberd. So they upped the damage on it quite a bit, because it used to be, like, so it used to be a strength 10, AP minus 4, 3 damage. It is now strength 8, because his base strength is 6, and it adds 2. Strength 8, AP minus 3, D3 plus 3 damage. More, way better damage output. However, each time the bear fights, it makes one additional attack with this weapon, and no more than one attack can be made with that weapon. So you get one D3 plus three attack, but that's okay because even with Quicken, like you get a bunch of extra Furioso Fists, which are strength 12, AP minus three, three damage. You're not hurting. You just don't, you only get, I just find it interesting. They only get the one punch with the Halberd instead of like as many as they wanted before. Hmm. But that yeah. said, I, I still really like it. I still like, I think the, having a Librarian Dreadnought is still a good choice. It did lose a weapon skill, though. It went from two up to three up, so it doesn't hit as often. But uh, it's it, gotten, it gained an extra attack as well. So, I mean, it's it's not a bad choice. I don't feel bad about uh, I'll We'll talk about it when we get to hobby progress. But uh, I, I, I think a Librarian Dreadnought will be a, a decent add-in for any, really any Space Marine army. Or any, not Space Marine, any Blood Angels army. No, they're definitely cool. Yeah. Astarath is the big... Uh, 
he's the he is the current uh, redeemer of the lost. He, it's his job to basically put down Death Company when they go bad. Like he still has that ability. He just like lets them lets Death Company auto pass morale within six inches of him. Uh, and then any Blood Angels coordinate can use his leadership within six inches. And he has a he used to have a ability called Massive Doom. It is now considered a litany that he has in addition to like litany of hate and two other litanies of battle. And it's basically kind of the same thing. He lets them tap into the black rage. So like on a D six on a one, a model in the units, just like you pick a unit within six inches of them. That's either a debt core or character, not counting vehicles. And you on a D six, uh, on a one, model is destroyed, but the rest of the unit adds uh, one to their attack rolls. On a two through five, they add one to their attack rolls. And on a six, the units add one to their attack rolls and have a four up and vulnerable save. So uh, it's a pretty cool ability. The fact that it does have you have to choose between the regular litany and that is a little bit of a nerf because it used to be both of them at the same time. But again, it's a balancing factor. And, you know, he's a jump pack guy with a... Uh, Strength six power axe, so he's pretty good. Lamartes, which basically gives you a Death Company chaplain. Uh, Captain Tycho, the only Death Company character other than Lamartes before this, because you can get him in gold and black forms. Right. And also another ancient model. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit surprised they didn't Legends one of the two, or make like one of the two only available in Crusade. I'm honestly surprised they didn't Legends both of them, and I say that because, like, storyline-wise, Tycho's been dead for a long time. They even mention it in the fluff of this. Like, Tycho Mm -hmm. died as a Death Company on Armageddon, so it's like, he shouldn't, like, he should be Legend, and he's an ancient model, and he's not that great, really. Yeah. I mean, he's he's an anti-orc model, which makes him really specific, (laughs) <laughs> he seems like a he really does seem like a better choice as a uh, as a legends. You've got sanguinary guard which are basically bodyguard for your characters, but instead of like taking wounds, they're better at attacking. They hit their hits hit better if they're within 6 inches of your warlord. Yeah. They subscribe to the best defense is a good offense strategy. Yeah. <laughs> they used to reroll failed hit rolls, so again, they've been toned down a bit. They're not bad. I just, I, there used to be like people building entire lists around Sanguinary Guard. I don't think I would now. They're, they're okay. Yeah. I mean, their weapons are better and they are jump, which helps. It's like, yeah. But I would also say like an alternative to this, if you don't mind not having the jump pack is like Blade Guard veterans would be a perfectly good counterpoint to these and are like yeah. Blood Angels, Blade Guard veterans would be fine. Um, Sanguinary Ancient is basically a Sanguinary guy with a banner that they made into a separate unit for reasons. Death Company Dread is basically, it's a dreadnought with the Black Rage. I wouldn't want to face one in combat. They're very, like, they can... (laughs) And so one thing about Death Company Dread is, like, Blood Talons kept getting shifted around. Because it used to be Blood Talons were broken because they let you, like, if you killed a model, you just started spawning additional attacks, which could spawn additional attacks. Which, if you remember, like, the old 4th or 5th edition version. Yeah, it would just yeah, shoot through. Tim uses it against me. <laughs> yeah. yeah shoot through anything. I Tim would use that against me back when we played. Oh, God. Yeah, they're, they're scary. Uh, and then in 8th edition, they uh, basically let you uh, re-roll failed hit and wound rolls. Now they just let you re-roll failed wound rolls. Which is still fine. I mean, the thing, yeah, it's five attacks base, and you're going to have 
If you're charging, you're going to have an attack from Shock Assault. You're going to have an attack from Black Rage. If it's Assault Doctrine, you're going to have an attack from that. Like, so you're talking like eight attacks during Assault Phase. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's attacks at Strength 10. So re-rolling wounds, I mean, those wounds are going to stick. And if you're in Assault Phase, they're also going to be AP minus three instead of AP minus two. So Death Company Marines are pretty much the way they always were. Uh, they get expensive fast. They do have two wounds now, which is going to make them even harder to sh- to deal with. And they do shrug off wounds on sixes because of Black Rage. And they've got lots of options available. So, I mean, if you're a, a unit of Death Company never goes badly in a Dark Angels mm-hmm. list. Uh, we now have Death Company Intercessors, which they come equipped stock with a bolt rifle. But uh, they, but you can have base them off the assault intercessors and have them with a heavy bolt pistol and a Astartes chainsword, which I think would be the way to take them now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like I have a unit that I put together at, with like the uh, auto bolt rifles, but that's because they didn't have assault intercessors and that option at the time. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to have Premier's, you know, a place to put Premier's Death Company. They don't have nearly as many weapon options. I mean, they have a lot of weapon options, but most of those are going to go onto the sergeant. It's not like regular Death Company where you can like mix and match. Like these three guys have thunder hammers, and this guy's got a power fist and a hand flamer, and this guy's got a power sword and inferno pistol. It's, it's no, you're gonna have a bunch of people with either bolt rifles or chain swords, and then one guy who has a better pistol. And then finally, the last two units, the Furioso Dreadnought, which is what if Death Company Dread, but not Death Company. With the option of the heavy frag cannon, which is, it's okay. Like, it's it's a heavy 2d3 blast weapon, strength 7, AP 1, damage 2. Yeah. Like, it used to be basically like a super flamer template, because it was like a strength 5, it, or strength 6, AP minus 1, 1 damage, assault 2d6, that auto hit. And now it's 2d3, it's fewer attacks, better strength and damage, but not auto hitting. It's... I would rather run a Death Company Dread in almost every case. Yeah, I would agree. And then finally, the Ball Predator, which is their special tank, which I feel like has been kind of superseded by the uh, like the new Gladiator with the dual uh, like onslaught mm-hmm. cannons. Yeah, I think the I think the new Gladiators are better, but you know it's good to still have the Legacy version out. You know, you're going to see more um, armies of of you know original Marines. With them both getting the two wounds and stuff. So I, I do think there's still a place for it. Um, but I, I think that a gladiator with like the overcharged engine strat is probably going to be better. I want to compare points real quick. So so the gladiator reaper um, is 230 points and power level 12. Um, the ball predator is uh, 100. Okay, so the ball predator is a way cheaper option and only has one mm-hmm. less wound. And also, the Ball Predator has overcharged engines for free. You don't have to spend a strap point. So, I don't know, maybe the Ball Predator's not... Maybe that is the better option for getting a similar effect. It also moves two inches more than the Gladiator Reaper. So, maybe sure. I take that I take that back, maybe. Yeah, I think if you're running an, old, you know, a, an original Marine army, like... Yeah, I think you absolutely take these. Because they're, you know, they are good, but they've, they've always been a, a solid unit. So here's the difference. Here's what you're paying for. The Gladiator Reaper is one more toughness, so tough eight instead of tough seven, which does make a big difference. One more wound, uh, two inches less movement. 
there is that. However, that twin heavy onslaught Gatling cannon has the same damage profile as the twin assault cannon, but six six extra inches of range and twice as many shots. It's 24 shots instead of 12. Yeah. That might be worth the extra 90 points or so, or 100, where is it? Well, 110 and, points. And I also believe, let me double check because I just closed it. Um, the Gladiator also gets Repulsor Field, I believe. Yes, it does have the Repulsor Field keyword. So you'd have to use the strat with it, but. Yeah. And to equip it in a consistent way. Okay, so that the Ball Predator is 120 base, but uh, it's 10 points for the Twin Assault Cannon, so that's 130. Plus, uh, to get the similar firepower, or to get anywhere near the same firepower, you'd have heavy bolter sponsons. Those are 15 points each, so that's one third. So that's 160 points for a ball predator. At that point, it's seven, 70 points more for an option that uh, has twice as many shots, one more toughness, and f- one more wound, and a few more abilities. Yeah. It may, it makes the ball predator not quite such a clean cut better choice. Well, it is the more budget choice. Yeah, it, it just gives you more flexibility, which is which is good. Like you've got options to have, you know, the old school ball predator or the slightly better, like more shot, little tougher version for more points. So I I, I do like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that's basically it. And. Point wise, uh, no big surprises on on Blood Angels. Uh, most th- most units got a little bit more expensive because of the extra wound that regular Marines got across the board, but uh, not quite like we do. You don't see the uh, replacement units in every slot like the way you did for Space Wolves. So uh, your core of this army is going to look a lot like any other Space Marine army, and it is more a more Codex compliant army design. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you're definitely going to want to focus more on assault focused character. Like, so you're going to want assault intercessors for your troops for the most part. Uh, you're going to want to get death company. Maybe you do want to take an assault squad. Unfortunately, Primaris don't have any really good assault jump units. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, inceptors and suppressors don't really fill that same role aggressors are okay, but they're not a jump unit. They're not a deep strike unit. And it just depends on like, how do you want to play this and really play into the strengths of the army? And I really think I was going to say really Primaris assault intercessors are your best troop choice. Yeah, I think so. Character wise. I mean, there's, you've got a lot of options and this is also an army where like just a regular captain is not a bad choice. I mean, you can, you can run a blood angels army without a single named character and not really feel like you're missing out on too much. There's a lot of good choices in there. Um, and like they've got a lovely, uh, drop infantry, you know, like jump infantry, uh, chaplain model, which is fantastic, which I, I have one and I love it that you can use as a character as well. I mean, so. Whereas, like, Smash Captains being a good choice because they, like, they couldn't be, you could keep them from being targeted until they got into close combat, that's no longer a thing unless you're kind of hugging them against other units. You can still make characters that are absolute blenders, you can really make uh, an army that can lean into Savage Echoes and all the various, you know, benefits you get there. The play style for this army doesn't really change much from the past, though. Like, I don't think there's mm-hmm. been, like, there's really not that many new things other than Assault Intercessors that have been introduced that would change up how you how you would build and play this army from past editions. Yeah. 
Like, I don't see anything like like where we saw Wolfen toned down and Thunderwolf Cav pumped back up to try to get people to use more of the latter and less of the former. Uh, I don't see that. Like, Death Company, yes, they take a nerf by not being able to do actions. But for the the reason you're taking them is for damage output, and they definitely didn't get nerfed in that regard at all. If anything, they got made nastier. Yeah, they've gotten they're they're still like play the same way. I think some of your units might shift around a little bit. Some of your options are a bit different, but I think they're going to play very very similar to how they have in the past. Yeah, and as we've seen in this edition, that's not a bad thing. Assault being a more viable strategy because of smaller table sizes and less ubiquitous uh, Overwatch and and more encouragement to take terrain to to be able to you know get past shooting and get into assault. Uh, I think Blood Angels are actually in a better spot than they were. I don't think they're going to be like the top tier beat them all army, but I think they're, they are probably a, the best assault army that they're, they and like white scars are probably in a close running. White scars are a bit faster, I think, but blood angels can do well as well, Mm -hmm. which is, it's interesting though. They, they have, they, they build their assault capabilities in a very different way than space wolves. And I, I don't know if it's ever been determined which one is better. Is it, Better to hit more or wound more? Because I think Space Wolves are better at hitting. Blood Angels are better at wounding. But Blood Angels also manage have ways to get so many more attacks to make up for the not hitting as often. Yeah, I I would probably, like, just my gut feeling would give it to the Blood Angels just because they can stack so many attacks and so many rerolls to make those make those uh, wounds stick that, like, I th- it feels to me like they're the better choice. They're probably not quite as fast as Space Wolves because I think that like a Thundercav Space Wolf army is and with Wolfen is probably overall more maneuverable than a Jump Pack Blood Angels army, which is kind of an interesting thing. Like, so I don't know. I think it just kind of depends on what your play style is, whether you're more I, of a werewolf or a vampire player. You know, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and uh, well, whether you're, I'll on- toss in this one. Um, it's going to be how much you wound because as of playing like an Eldar player, we get tons of hits, but the wounds that don't stick, it, it's just more fun to actually yeah. see wounds land and models get pulled off. Yeah. Which would seem so, yeah. to give the edge to, to Blood Angels. It would be an interesting playoff. I'd like to see a series of games between like Space Wolves and Blood Angels to see like how they perform in similar situations. Okay. Uh, next summer, Rob. Next summer, hey, we'll get <laughs> yeah. we'll do it sometime. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go ahead and just tentatively throw my vote in for Team Edward on this in this case. <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> I said they didn't sparkle. <laughs> yeah, but there's also gold ones. You paint in the right way, they'll sparkle. <laughs> yeah. You use some of that high end glitter paint, huh? <laughs> oh man, that's just gonna be everywhere. <laughs> And with that, I think it's time to move on towards the last part of the show. So first off, we're going to do hobby progress. Uh, appropriately enough, I built a librarian dreadnought uh, this week. I was decided it was finally time to get that thing put together. So I, I assembled that. Other than that, I haven't done a lot of painting. We've been uh, kind of getting stuff ready for the Christmas season here. So uh, and work's been keeping me just busy enough that I haven't been able to duck away too early to to do additional painting here in my garage but uh yeah so librarian dreadnought and uh should be an interesting choice uh in an army in the future 
I haven't done a ton of uh, of anything right now. Just kind of building some models that I've picked up over the, you know, over the last few months. I, I put together the um, uh, Aph- Aphidi- uh, Aphelion destroyers, whatever the ones with like the the wraith tail destroyers, yeah, because yeah. uh, those are cool models. And just kind of been working on a few other like character models assembling and stuff. Um, I'm taking some time off around Christmas, so I will spend that time to uh, to work on painting and stuff like that. But yeah, just been kind of same thing. Just been busy with work and other things. So I've been kind of working on assembling what I can when I can. Well, I will be the real downer. I have not gotten anything done. I've been kind of more gearing up for the holiday season and doing stuff for other people and actually playing music again for once so hopefully i'm guessing when the holidays wind down i can get back into it because i've got something space will separated but we'll we'll see if i keep on going that or if i paint more underworlds and i uh with my work finally kind of calming down um i went ahead and i bought the forge world compendium Nice. nice Uh, and along with that, I got a work mecha dread. So I have, Ooh. I have that, uh, I've washed off how about half of the parts, uh, to start assembling it. Um, and I still got some more to, to wash. Uh, and then I put together two crusaders, which, you know, is just gluing them on, cutting them out and gluing them on bases. Yeah. Is there one piece? <laughs> it's still a thing. You still did the thing. I still did the thing. <laughs> you actually you have done more. I think you and Kevin might be tied on how much you've done. So So yeah, yeah you guys you guys win the hobby progress challenge this week. Not that Woo. there was an official challenge, but if there was, you would have won it. Yay. <laughs> well, I'm the biggest thing that I'm happy about is that I don't have to frantically paint my death watch over the next month for LVO. So I have a little more time to like set back and plan out my painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the, the, you mean the upshot is <laughs> I was going to, yes. Say. I mean, that's code for putting it off. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's code for putting it off. Yes. <laughs> yeah, now that the pressure, the, the pressure to actually attend an event is off. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> uh, whatever makes you happy, man. And with that, uh, we'll go into the morale phase and the things that make us happy. And this is one we haven't talked about uh, since launching it, but the second season is almost done, so it's time to talk about The Mandalorian. Um, yeah. If you are even remotely a Star Wars fan, you owe it to yourself to check this out. Yeah, and we're, we're going to get into spoilers, so if you have not seen season two, uh, you're probably safe to just cut out now, uh, because there are there are things that happen in season two that I would never want to spoil for people. Um, so if you haven't seen it or, and you're interested in seeing it, that's fine. This is the rest of the episode is just going to be us gushing about the show. So, uh, yeah. we appreciate it. But, uh, so quick, you good night, good gaming yeah. and go watch the Mandalorian. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So now that we're into spoiler territories, I want to give a little bit of a background here. My, my younger brother is the biggest Boba Fett fan that like I've ever seen. Like he just loves the character. Like he's, he's done costumes for Halloween and for conventions that are Boba Fett costumes like that. So episode nine, the Marshall, and then uh, episode 14, the tragedy, like, cause, cause of the way his schedule works, he usually can't get to watch it until Monday. 
So I spent the entire weekend just be like, hey, have you seen it yet? And he's like, no, I'll watch it on Monday. I'm like, okay, then I can't talk to you for like the next two days because if I talk to you, I will spoil this and I do not want you to get this spoiled. <laughs> and like he he texted me after episode 14 and was like, holy shit, that's the best Star Wars thing I've ever seen. Because he's like, I, he's like, I teared up when Slave 1 broke Atmo and landed. And he's like, I, I yeah. So uh, the it's interesting because this season has expanded the scope of the show in ways that I wasn't 100% certain of because they've introduced a lot of characters from the Clone Wars or from Rebels or from novels like Cobb Vanth is in the Aftermath novels. Boba Fett's been dead for 30 years, uh, you know, apparently, but apparently not. You know, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano, like, come from these other shows and don't really fit into what the series narrative is. Like, it makes sense that they would kind of pass past them, but, like, as much as I loved seeing Ahsoka Tano in live action and I loved that episode for the 45-minute, you know, samurai western that it was – yeah, that episode doesn't fit with the series because it's not an episode of The Mandalorian. It's the pilot episode for the Ahsoka series. Um, I enjoyed it, but it's not an episode of the show. And like, I feel at times this season has delved off of the main story a bit to go do an episode about a character that's not Mando. Um, but then they also pull it back and they do an episode like The Tragedy where it is all about Mando and it's awesome. So... It you know it's it's that weird balance that they didn't have to do in season one because season one was streamlined focused on the character and the narrative. This season's branched off more, and we know now because they announced this week that there's like three spinoff shows that are coming out. Um, yeah, so obviously it makes sense that they were trying to like you know branch it out to these other shows. But I really hope with the final episode coming up that they do focus on resolving this season's storyline. You know, and that it's not just another guest star episode, uh, which have been fun. They've been good. Like, every episode has been good, but I want the focus to be back on Mando. I, yes, I, I would say that some of these episodes where it's like with Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano have been a bit of, like, you could say that they've been character diversions, but I think they've yeah. also done a good job of both fleshing out the the series making it fit even more into the greater star wars universe but also mm -hmm. they've done i think they've done some interesting things to if not necessarily flesh out the the man you know the main character to it puts them in in context like bo -Katan, yes. okay like so bo -Katan, uh crease is from or is it bo -Katan crease i think so but yeah uh, yeah bo -Katan is uh, a character, a Mandalorian character who has shown up in Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, both animated shows. And they got her voice actress, Katie Sackhoff, to play her in live action, which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, it helps that Katie Sackhoff was famous enough when they developed the character that they just made the animated character look like her. So that yes, when they do live action, they just cast her. They were not yeah. that lucky with uh, Sokotano because... As much as I love Ashley Eckstein, and I do kind of wish they had maybe brought her back to do the voice, it, you need a you need an actual actor for that role. Like a Ashley Eckstein's a voice actress. Like it's yeah. <laughs> also, Ashley Eckstein is like tiny, 
and they wanted somebody yeah. who wasn't towered over by by, <laughs> right, Pedro by everyone. Pascal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Rosario Dawson was a good choice, though. I think they did. a good Oh, choice. she's perfect. Yeah, but she's, but what I was great. gonna but what I was gonna say is okay. So I'm gonna if you have not seen any Mandalorian, we're gonna have to provide a quick primer. So the Mandalorian is a guy who is a Mandalorian. If that you don't know what that means, it's somebody who looks like Boba Fett. He wears like the Boba Fett style armor. Yeah. And his entire shtick is he belongs to like this group of Mandalorians that stay hidden. He works as a bounty hunter. And so they only ever go out one at a time. And he's part of this group. It's like, you never take your helmet off in front of anybody. If you ever take your helmet off, you violated your code and you can never put it back on. You never take your, hel- your helmet off in front of any living person. And it turns out that the group he's part of is like this weird religious fundamentalist group of uh, Mandalorians, because most Mandalorians take their helmets off all the time. Right. Like, it's, they it's a piece of armor. Yeah, it's not. It's just a helmet. <laughs> right. And so when he comes across Mandalorians who take their helmets off, he's like, what? Why are you doing that? It's like, oh, oh, you're a child of the watch. You're part of that weird offshoot group. Yeah, you're not like main Mandalorian, but it's fine. Like, you're you're still a Mandalorian. We're still fine with you. And so, like, there's that. You know, it, so it gives a little bit a bit of context to the group he belongs to. And it's like, why does why is he having these beliefs that we've never seen other people, other Mandalorians in right. in the Star Wars canon follow? It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, the episode of the Sokatano gives us a uh, background on the child which again if you haven't watched Mandalorian you've probably seen the merchandise of baby Yoda everywhere it's not yeah. <laughs> actually baby Yoda it's just a young person from the same species I-, I will state that I know Kevin said he liked the episodes about Mando and from an outsider's perspective because I've seen zero episodes but I mean the internet spoils everything so I'm not worried um, right. I don't know that from what I hear, Mando's really in any episode because everyone only talks about the Baby Yoda character. <laughs> no, he's in every episode. And actually, at this point, now through 15 episodes, he's been in one more episode than Baby Yoda has been in because Baby Yoda was not in the last episode at all. But yeah, like it, Mando, especially in season one, Mando and his like quest and like his, you know, goes through a, a character arc. And he definitely goes through a character arc in season two as well because he's as Rob saying he's softening those edges and he's softening the zealotry that comes with being raised with Death Watch. But that's not the focus of this season like it was in season one. Like it season two just feels like there are more distraction episodes. And also there was like a solid like four or five episode stretch where the plot of the episode is Mando shows up to get information. He must team up with this person to get the information, information leads him to the next person who he must team up with to get the information, which leads him to the next piece of information where he must team up with someone to get that information. And then, and like that formula is fine. Five episodes in a row of that formula gets stale. And that was, it that's just another sounds like of, a quest from a MMO. It, that's the problem. It's like, there was like four episodes in a row where it's like, Go to place, get thing, team up with someone to get thing, thing leads you to the next place, team up with someone to get the, and it's like, I break this formula. And they did, like, they've, they've now done a couple episodes that are related more to the main story. And I'm like, that's good. I like this. But yeah, it felt, this season especially felt like there were a couple of MMO side quests that 
you could have cut out, like, for example, the episode with Bo-Katan, you could have cut that out. He just gets that information that he gets from Bo-Katan from the next person. And that episode, all you lose is the really cool fight scenes and the tiny bit of character development that kind of ties it together. It's not saying that it's it's a bad episode or that it's not essential. It's just it doesn't further the plot as much as it could, which is which is disappointing at times. And like I said, maybe part part of the part of the benefit of the show is that you get to have fun, cool, wacky space, you know, Star Wars space adventures, and they're all well done. Like this season has been episodes have been directed by John Favreau, Peyton Reed, uh, Dave Filoni, Robert Rodriguez. Like these are getting well-paced action, well, well done technical filmmaking. So the episodes all look amazing. Wasn't the, uh, epi- the first season finale directed by Taika Waititi? Yes. Yeah. I no, mean, they, so like, it's, it's a continuous directors. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, no, and like, same things. Yeah. There's a, there's a documentary, um, on, also on Disney plus all about like the first episode really covers the, just all the directors from the first season. Yes. And, and it's them all sitting in a room with John Favreau and, and Dave Filoni and, and just talking about their experience of making the first season of the Mandalorian. And it is, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's delightful. <laughs> um, but like, they're getting some heavy talent like in here and they're doing really great story. Like the, the episode, you know, episode 14 where Boba Fett shows up and like gets to Boba Fett all over the place and actually show that he's the badass that you've always thought he was is has like literally movie quality action in it. Like it's Robert Rodriguez directing it. It is the action in that film is as good as any action sequence that they've put in any of the Disney star Wars movies. Like I would hold the Boba Fett fight scene up against even like the Vader hallway scene in rogue one. Like it's that level of badass. Seeing what a gaffy stick can do to stormtrooper armor is terrifying. <laughs> it <Yeah>. is yes. <laughs> also, like I would also like to to speaking of gaffy sticks, I loved the treatment of sand people in yes. like the early episodes of this season, and that they actually developed like a sign language for them to use. Yes. Like they actually had a deaf actor play portray one. I think briefly in first season. And yes. developed like actual sign language for them to use, and so they've made them like an action. They're not not just like these faceless marauders. They're actually like us people, and it yeah. makes them a culture, feel real. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's the one thing that this show has done super well is they take an element of Star Wars that was in the movies. That like never got expanded on because it's a side part and then they take it and then they focus on it and they expand it out. And like, I think they've done a really good job with that, with the Mandalorian culture, with, you know, the sand people's culture, with the, you know, some of the planet when they went to the, um, you know, the, 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 the ocean planet with the Korans and the Mon Cal, like they focused on things there. Like they've, there was an episode in, uh, yeah, episode 12 where like, Baby Yoda just like they're they have to send them off to like kind of go babysitting for a little while, and they're training these you know they're they're teaching these kids about galactic trade routes and you know the geography of the galaxy, and it's like it's an information dump, but it's things that like has never been explicitly spelled out in Star Wars, so like that's cool to see. So like 
the show does a really great job of expanding the universe in these ways and making uh, characters and cultures feel complete. Like the same, they did the same thing last season with Jawas, where there's a, a couple episodes where they do actually make the Jawas feel like an actual like clan of of humanoids, you know, and aliens that like function as a society and have wants and needs, and like that's really cool storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I they've done a really good job of using this as a way to flesh out the uh the star wars universe and i i want i think credit where credits due is to dave filoni especially Mm -hmm. because i think he has done more as a a star wars showrunner because you know again clone wars and rebels and resistance and such i think he has done more to have a clear vision of of the star wars universe and kind of directing people to that vision than anyone since like george lucas and he does he's yeah. a better george lucas than george lucas <laughs> well and, and he gets and he still talks with george lucas on the regular too that's the other thing is that like he you know he he has a reverence for george lucas but they also work together for you know seven seasons of the clone wars and stuff so he has a good understanding of what george lucas wanted out of these various shows and various stories um, while also being able to put his own spin on it. Because this is the other thing that I thought was absolutely amazing that uh, I didn't realize until I was going back recently. And I think I was watching the, uh, the, the, the Disney spotlight series, the documentary series. Dave Filoni was the showrunner for season one of Avatar, the last airbender, which I didn't know. And like, Oh shoot, that that clicks. Now I understand why this show is good because he was also the showrunner of like the best season of that show too. So like Dave Filoni is an amazing storyteller and clearly is passionate about Star Wars and I'm really excited to see where he goes going forward. Oh yeah. And also this show does fan service the right way. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here that is fan service, but it's For done sure. the right way in the sense that it's not just it's not done the ready player one style where it's like hey remember this thing it was cool remember that thing yeah. it was cool it's like remember this thing this is why that matters this is this is where this yeah. fits into everything or it's or it's done in completely subtle ways where like the the ice cream maker comp toner thing has come up twice now in the series yeah. and both times that it's come up it's kind of been a joke and if you don't know what the joke is that's fine. It doesn't matter. It's just a visual reference. Like, yeah. And the, and if it is something that's important, say like, why does Cobb Vanth have Boba Fett's armor? It gets fully explained. And mm-hmm. oh, now I understand why this piece of equipment is important because it's important to the story. So it gets an explanation. But like the stuff that's just a visual gag or like a visual reference to something, it doesn't get called out. So if you don't know it then it doesn't matter and doesn't impact the story. Yeah. And if you, you can, I think you have to have a cursory familiarity with the original trilogy of star Wars to be able to yeah. really sit down and enjoy this show. If you've watched the other movies or any of the other stuff, you get more out of it. But yeah. like my partner, she is not a star Wars fan. She's watched the original trilogy. She's never watched any of the, she's never really watched the prequels. She's never watched the sequels. She's watched Rogue One and she liked Rogue One because again, it fits mm-hmm. in with that original trilogy. She's, she and I 
both like she really enjoys the Mandalorian and like one thing she enjoys about it is the Skywalkers aren't involved. So right. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot yeah. about this that's like you don't have to be a hardcore Star Wars fan to enjoy it, but if you are, it helps. It get you like yeah. you get more. Like I don't know about you, but the last episode. Uh, when he when uh, Boba Fett dropped that uh, proximity mine out the back, and then there was just the bomb sound. It's like yeah, I was just literally like shaking my hands, going yes, because yeah. that's like my one favorite thing from Attack of the Clones. So it's like right, uh, yeah, no, so it was like, cool to see that used again. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like it's a good show in and of itself, and and a. Especially season one, because season one was streamlined to the point that there were references, but there wasn't a lot of references. It was a very kind of insular, self-contained story that they were telling in this universe. So season one, like, is such dynamic, good storytelling that, like, you don't have to really know anything else about Star Wars even. Like, you could probably get away with season one just by itself, not even having seen the original trilogy and still get the story and know what's going on. Season two expands out a little bit. Like there's deeper references if you've watched the Clone Wars, if you've watched the prequels or the sequels. But yeah, like it's a good enough story that it works on its own. And then all of the the fan service elements hang off of that and just enhance the story if you get the reference. And if you don't get the reference, it's fine. The story moves forward and you you can still follow what's actually happening in the main story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, before like before we spend much time talking about this show, as we have talked about Blood Angels, uh, we're just gonna wrap it up here. But yeah, if you are a Star Wars fan and you have not watched Mandalorian, you definitely should. If you are not a Star Wars fan but you're familiar with Star Wars, I think it still does hold up on its own. So uh, it is available on Disney Plus. At the by the time you hear this, the second season should be over or just about. Yep. We're we're waiting on one more episode, and as you said. Kevin, they've announced like 10 new series, two to three of which are direct spinoffs from this. Exactly. So like, and that's the thing, like by the time this episode comes out, if you don't sign up for Disney plus, there are like free trials. So you can sign up for the service. You can binge watch the series and then you can decide if you want to continue to subscribe. So yeah, um, the end of the end of season two, like right now is probably the best time to get the most bang out of your buck to try it and then continue, you know, see if you want to stay for all of the upcoming Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar and yeah, everything that was announced this week <laughs> that's yeah. coming out because <laughs> so, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's all there's a lot. But I mean, it means the slate will be full for the next year, year or two. So there will be mm-hmm. lots of lots of entertainment coming. So. But anyway, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. So uh, we'll be back uh, probably with a year-end episode. Um, I don't know if we'll have an episode between now and Christmas, though. We'd be recording, like, a Christmas weekend. So from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2 No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.